Hi, everyone. Once again, unfortunately, we must begin the show by paying tribute and doing an in-memoriam for a creator in the anime and manga industry that sadly has passed away recently. And this one is really tragic because of how young this artist was. And on March 7th, uh, Mia Ikumi, who is best known for drawing the Tokyo Mew Mew manga, passed away from a subarachnoid hemorrhage surrounding the brain. She passed away very young, in her 40s, so this is very tragic. And especially so because the series was kind of entering a revival period. There was a new anime that's planned to come out later this year, so it's very just sad that she won't be able to see it and you know for such a talented artist who made a work that you know really was uh, formative and defining for a lot of kids both japan u.s you know in the u.s was localized here by four kids it's like mew mew power hour so you know it's just very sad to lose an artist as talented and whose work was as formative as mikumi and i think though like her fans will still carry on, you know, her legacy and, like, the memories they have of Tokyo Mew Mew and what that series means to them. And more people will be introduced to that series with that new anime later this year and then revisit her work in that way. So, of course, like so many artists, the the work they did will continue to live on. But it's just so unfair for such a young artist, um, such a talented artist, to be taken just so young it's a very sad sad occasion whenever we have to talk about artists who have passed away especially when they pass away so early but we just wanted to take a moment of time to pay respects to ikumi sensei to send our best wishes and love to our friends and loved ones all the fans of her work and then take a moment of silence to pay our respects This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 196. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha, and today we have another news catch-up episode. There's been a ton of new licensing announcements to talk about. There's a new serialization updates to mention, and there's a bunch of, like, anime news and updates that we'll be going over. Some pretty big stuff. Some controversial stuff. So there's going to be a full gamut of things to talk about on this episode. Yep. As always, every month, lots of news. Um, I, I'm just going to put this out there. 
we are definitely going to be doing our licensing lists because um, I did a count before we recorded today just to make sure I knew whether we should do our list or not. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I counted at least like 50 licenses or more, like individual licenses from this past month. There was no way we're going to cover all that on one show. I'm sorry. <laughs> Which I mean... You know, I, I feel bad because, like, you know, as much as we would like to cover every license, like, you know, I, I like that we're doing these lists now because, as listeners may know, we there was just the point where we had to, like, cut down on some of the coverage of stuff that we needed to cover. There's only so much we can cover in one episode. Um, but before we even get on to news, uh, I do want to kind of plug a couple things before I move on. One thing I did kind of mention at the end of the last episode, and, and you might have heard me, I wasn't entirely sure at the time whether it would be out or not, but uh, I can say now that if you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks at the $5 tier, again, that, that's where we upload at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, our latest bonus podcast is one where we got to talk about Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the uh, the anime film, and, and also the manga. We kind of talk about Jujutsu Kaisen Zero just in general. Uh, with special guest Kate Sanchez from uh, But Why Though, and as well as uh, Sam Leach from the One Piece podcast. And uh, I had a lot of fun talking about uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero with the both of them. It was a really great discussion, uh, especially as someone who is kind of who is only anime only uh, for right now with Jujutsu Kaisen. So it was really fun getting to hear you guys kind of talk about like everything I missed in the movie that was uh, from later material in the manga, all kinds of stuff. We, we had a lot of like speculation about the anime in particular and like where we think it'll go. And uh, just a lot of cool thoughts on the movie in general and uh, the themes it tackles and explores. And it's a great conversation. And if you're not a patron of ours, please go sign up at patreon.com slash manga mavericks and go listen to it. Uh, I promise it's totally worth it. It was a great conversation with Kate and Sam. I definitely wanted to talk JJK with them, knowing how big into the series they were. And we had a really good convo on the movie and what we liked about it as an adaptation of the original manga. And, you know, the challenges of adapting that manga and its weird place in the series is like a series that came before the JJK series and was integrated later into it. But this film is now acting as like kind of more of a proper prequel, but there's still some things you gotta tweak from the manga to make it work and gel a little bit more. And there's some missed opportunities we felt, you know, but overall we had good things to say about the strengths of the adaptation, the strengths of the story, and then some of the things that we wish we could have seen and we're hoping to see in the future. So really great convo on JJK and it will whet your appetite if you've been wanting JJK discussion and content from us in advance of when we will do a proper episode on the series, probably a longer time in the future when it ends mm -hmm, for sure um definitely go listen to that uh again that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks where we have a bunch of other bonus podcasts you can listen to and uh i guess kind of tangentially related to the patreon uh for those who don't know uh my friend doctor from the ass backwards enemy podcast and i uh did an entire like read through miniseries of the original saint seiya manga as was released by viz media uh from masami kuramata and uh it was a great time you know i i loved going through all of saint seiya and just being constantly bewildered and confused by everything i was reading uh, and Saint Seiya in general is just a fun time. You know, we've done an entire episode on the series uh, on Manga Mavericks before. I wasn't able to be a part of that discussion just due to scheduling and everything. I didn't really have time to get ready. So I basically started up a read through over at the Manga Mavericks book club to kind of go through it at my own pace with Doctor. Uh, so if you want to hear us go through Saint Seiya and hear our kind of hear our reactions in re like real time, you should go listen to that. But uh, I'm also bringing this up because... Uh, 
you know, for people who have listened to that. And, uh, you know, if you listen to that read through, Doc and I definitely talked about a few times like, oh, man, when we're done with the manga, we should like cover some of the anime in like somewhere or whatever. And uh, so over at Doc's show at the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast, uh, we actually just did an episode kind of on Saint Seiya. We covered the first two Saint Seiya movies and put our friend uh, Dame Dr. Foxy Brown through them and uh, kind of got her impressions as someone who's very, very new to Saint Seiya and wasn't very familiar with it. And uh, I thought we had a really good, like, fun discussion on both movies because uh, both those movies... I'm going to say they're not great, but I do think they are at least an okay representation of what you could expect from Saint Seiya as a franchise. It's a good, like, sample platter. I felt pretty confident in my choices. I They're okay for newbies, and I thought it would be fun to uh, have someone who has never seen Saint Seiya before kind of go through them. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, basically, if you if you listen to our Saint Seiya read-through on our Patreon and, uh, you know, you were like, man, I wish I could hear more of this. Like, you know, th- that's basically an extension of our read-through you can listen to while... I'll leave a link in the show notes for uh, for that in particular for anybody who wants to listen. But I just wanted to let our listeners know, you know, that we do kind of have sort of an extension of our read through over at the Ask Backwards Anime podcast. That's the SSA podcast. If you were uh, interested in listening to that, so there you go. And uh, I think that's about it for plugs. I think we can just uh, move on to the rest of the show and uh, finally get onto some news. And uh, I think the first thing we should talk about are the lists we have to talk about, as always. And I think we're going to start with the New York Times best-selling graphic books and manga list for the month of March. And uh, we're just going to go from bottom to the top here like we usually do. Uh, as far as manga goes, uh, the first thing we have to talk about is Chainsaw Man Volume 2, ranking at number 11 on the list, along with Volume 1, ranking at number 8, and last but not least, Volume 9, ranking at number 4, so that's three volumes of Chainsaw Man on the list. And then as for everything else, we have uh, Demon Slayer, Stories of Water and Flame, the uh, Rengoku and Giyu side story collection, ranking at number 10, along with Volume 1 of the original manga, ranking at number 9. And I think that's about it for Demon Slayer. And I want to say the last volume of manga on this list is Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 14 at number five on the list. And yeah, um, just kind of comparing this to last month's book scan or uh, New York Times list, you know, not as much manga because I think the last list had like 10 volumes of manga. Um, So there's a little less on this list, but still manga still has a very good showing on this list nonetheless. So I think that's pretty cool. Indeed. I mean... Compared to the earlier days where we were covering the NYT bestseller list when it came back and started including manga again, you know, there were only one or two volumes and now we're seeing more representation, more of the list is being taken up by manga volumes. So while it isn't the two thirds majority of the previous month, it's still quite a good portion of the list. So it shows, yeah, I mean, a lot of manga series are doing and selling very strongly compared to other comic books. No, for sure. Um, and I guess we can just move on to our actual book scan list, this being for the month of February 2022. And uh, just to kind of get out of the way, once again, all 20 spots on this list are taken up by manga. Nothing else is on this list, which is... Uh, you know, uh, still, once again, I just can't believe how well manga's been doing over the past couple of years or so. Like, it's just, I'm still in disbelief, quite honestly. Especially with how many spots a certain title has taken up on this list, and we might as well just get to it, because Chainsaw Man, Volume 9, number one on the list, uh, along with Volume 1, ranking at number 5, Volume 2, ranking at number 6, uh, with Volume 4, ranking at number 11, Volume 3, ranking at number 12, Volume 5, ranking at number 13, 
And last but not least, volume six, ranking at number 20. So that is about seven volumes of uh, Chainsaw Man on the list. And uh, yeah, uh, Chainsaw Man, current runaway hit from Viz Media. It's just cool to see. I love Chainsaw Man. We love Chainsaw Man, and we'd love to see it do well. Yeah, it's ripping and roaring, cutting down the competition. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible that seven of its nine volumes essentially represent the top 20 best-selling adult graphic novels this month. So yeah, Jane's the Man, incredibly popular, incredibly successful series. And this is all without the anime coming out. So who knows what heights it can reach when that does come out. We'll see all... Every volume of Chainsaw Man in the book scan for months on end. I'm telling you, if it doesn't happen at least once, I will be shocked. Like there's, <laughs> there's no, there's no way that's not happening at least once. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we we can move on to I guess another runaway hit from Viz with uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 14, ranking at number two, along with uh, Volume One, ranking at number ten. I think that's about it for Jujutsu Kaisen. I for some reason I thought there was more on this list, but still. Um, I mean, oh no, I'm sorry, Volume Zero, ranking at number 17. But no, yeah, Jujutsu Kaisen still does pretty well. I would say it's easily like Viz's second best, or I, I should say second most represented like franchise on this list recently. It is in terms of total volume count with four volumes, and yeah. Jujutsu Kaisen, of course, you know, it's still a very popular series. And keep in mind, this is the February list. We'll see what happens in March with the March book scan. Whether the movie encouraged even more volume sales and more volumes will pop up on that list. But Jujutsu Kaisen consistently is a very popular series right now. So, yeah, I mean, no surprise to see it do really well. I would be also shocked if uh, Volume Zero in particular was not a little higher on the list next month, honestly. Uh, but I guess in terms of like a series with the most volumes on this list after Chainsaw Man, it, it's probably Demon Slayer, honestly. They have the same amount of volumes to Jutsu and Demon Slayer with four volumes. Mm, okay. But yeah, anyway, uh, Demon Slayer, Volume 1. Uh, ranking at number three on the list, along with the stories of Water and Flame side story collection at number four on the list, uh, with volume two of the original series ranking at number seven, volume three ranking at number eight. And uh, yep, I think that's about it for Demon Slayer. Um, it's still a pretty good showing for Demon Slayer, though. I mean, if anything, I'll put it this way. Chainsaw Man is easily like the most represented on this list for the past couple months anyway. And I feel like Jujutsu Kaisen and Demon Slayer, I should say, kind of are like neck and neck. Like some sometimes there will be more volumes of Jujutsu Kaisen. Sometimes there'll be more volumes of Demon Slayer. So I think the representation is usually pretty equal for the most part, give or take. They're pretty consistently popular. And of course, you know, February saw the tail end of the Entertainment District Argonne adaptation. So, you know, I mean, with Volume 1 also being very high, you know, we have another wave of like hype and interest uh, in Demon Slayer as we're seeing like these first three volumes sell very well and of course you know the most recently released like Stories of Water and Flame volume so yeah I mean Demon Slayer continuing to attract the interest of new readers and new collectors and I will have to correct my earlier point because JJK only has three volumes so Demon Slayer is the second most represented on this list okay yeah yeah but no, yeah, it's 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 usually either one or the other. That's like uh, the second most represented after Chainsaw Man, usually, um, which is still kind of a weird feeling because I guess we'll just get to this next. But uh, My Hero Academia is still represented on this list, not as much as it used to be, because we only have two volumes on the list with volume one ranking at number nine and volume two ranking at number 15. So I really feel like if we're just going by sales and literally nothing else, which 
that's not always the best basis to base anything off of. Like, it, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would say that like My Hero Academia's popularity, at least from this list, seems to have like fallen a bit. But, I, you know, that's also because there are other things that are in the zeitgeist right now that people are just more interested in. And, you know, My Hero Academia, I'm sure will also, I, I feel like sales will probably pick up for it, like probably around when it ends, people will be like, oh, it ended, I should probably like catch up on it or whatever. That's how I could see it go anyway. That and the next season when that is airing i'm sure will attract interest in it again but yeah i mean my year academia it's just not as in the mind of popular consciousness right now comparative to you know jjk and demon slayer which have you know big anime adaptations that get a lot of hype and attention on twitter and you know if you're in the manga bubble i suppose like stuff happening in the current manga is well discussed but it's not quite comparable to the amount of like attention that jjk and demon slayer have been getting for like their highlights with the anime adaptations so yeah it's easy to see why it's fallen a little bit especially of course because, you know, there hasn't been a new volume released by Wiz in a few months. They caught up and now there's been a bit of a gap. So when a new volume comes out, I'm sure that'll do pretty well. But, you know, the backlist, the first two volumes, you know, there's still people getting into the series. So it still goes to show that My Hero Academia, you know, it's still a big series. It's still a very popular series. And there's still more and more people discovering and wanting to collect it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, basically, there's just not really a whole lot going on with the franchise right now. Again, like you said, with no new volumes coming out for a bit, and then the anime isn't going to come back for a little while. So, you know, it's a little quiet on the My Hero Academia front as besides, you know, whatever's going on in the manga right now. But yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. I'm sure My Hero Academia will take up a few more spots once something happens for it again, you know, I'm sure that'll happen. But uh, I guess just to talk about everything else on the list, uh, we have volume one of Kaiju number eight ranking at number 14 on the list, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm really glad to see Kaiju number eight's doing well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if this is worth bringing up. I've been hearing a lot of rumors about an anime lately, but I, I don't know if I've seen anything like actually official anywhere. I, I just see a lot of like... There has been no official announcement, but it has been rumored that it's getting anime, which I can believe with its popularity, you know, its incredible sales both in Japan and now overseas. I can totally see them green lighting an anime but the official announcement has not come yet it's just all been the secondhand sources so we will keep tabs on that but i would not be surprised to hear the announcement be made in the next month or so Mm -hmm. I'd be really interested in seeing how well Kaiju number eight does here when it eventually does get an anime. I'm, I'm really interested in seeing like how it'll stack up against stuff like Chainsaw Man and Jujutsu Kaisen, like whatever's currently popular. I'd be interested in seeing that. But next up, we have volume 17 of Komi Can't Communicate, ranking at number 16 on the list. Now, Komi Can't Communicate is definitely also something that we don't see on the list like every month, but... You know, usually when there's a new volume, there's a good chance it'll be up on the list. But yeah, I'm really I'm really happy that Kami Can't Communicate is also doing very well. Yeah, it is a nice bit of representation here for a non-action series, more of a slice of life rom-com series, and a non-Shonen Jump series. The only one of Viz's series on this book scan list that isn't from the Shonen Jump imprint. So that's nice to see that there is like 
you know, more for a slice of a comedy series that is beyond Shonen Jump that sells pretty well for which does pretty well. It's good to see there is a very successful Shonen Sunday series being <laughs> published and Komi is being quite successful. So, and it was successful even before that anime, but even with the anime now, you know, of course, you know, there's even more sustained popularity in it. No, for sure. Next up, we have Spy Family Volume 1, ranking at number 18. Now, Spy Family, I'm definitely going to be interested in seeing whether it'll have more representation on the list once that anime drops really, really soon. Yeah, I can definitely see like an explosion of interest in Spy Family if the Ami adaptation does a really good job of selling people on series, which I'm sure it will. It's in good hands, so... Yeah, very much looking forward to seeing how Spy Family continues to perform throughout the year as that anime continues airing. Mm-hmm. Man, that first episode, I think, is going to be out by the time this episode's out. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking that out when it hits because I'm really excited to watch it. But uh, last but not least on the list, uh, we have Attack on Titan Volume 34, ranking at number 19. Obviously, the, the final volume of Attack on Titan. And uh, yeah, Attack on Titan, still pretty popular. And uh I'm sure we'll probably talk about it later, but it looks like it's getting more anime to try to fill out the rest of the manga materials. So that's interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, we might as well talk about it now then. But yes, it was officially announced that Attack on Titan is going to be getting a third part to the final season to complete adapting the manga. Even though it says it's like the third part in the you know trailer, it says, you know, like conclusion final part. So like this is going to be the final part of the Attack on Titan final season adaptation, which makes sense. I mean, we were speculating about this before that... This season, the second part of Attack on Titan's final season, it was going to end at the end of Volume 32, so that left Volume 33 and 34, and so, you know, a lot of us were wondering, well, so are they going to do a third part to the season, or are they going to do it a film? A lot of us were expecting, oh, maybe do a film, because, you know, the, the success of all these canon anime films, but that they're going the TV anime route for the conclusion, which makes sense. You know, I see a lot of people who you know, I've not really been keeping up with Titan or like are not aware like how much of the story is left or like bemoaning the fact that there's another third part. It's kind of ridiculous that they, you know, labeled the stretch of the story as like the final season and it's like three seasons, really, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, again, this is going to be the final final part. I mean, the trailer says can get to it in the final part conclusion. And there's two volumes left in terms of episodes. Like, I think at best, it's going to be like eight episodes, ten episodes to finish it. And that's really if they really, you know, add a lot or, you know, really measure out the pacing. It could be done even sooner than that. But I think like eight episodes at the minimum. We'll see for the third part. But yeah, Attack on Titan is getting a third part for final season. It's going to be a complete adaptation. It's coming in 2023. So I am looking forward to seeing how those final two volumes are adapted. But clearly there were a lot of people watching them who could not wait to get to the ending and they're going out there in the manga. And so volume 34, of course, performed very strongly on this book scan. I wonder if, like, we'll see more, like, impatient uh, fellows wanting to get to those last few ones, the manga, not wanting to wait another year to see the end of the series, to see the actual final part <laughs> of the final season. That, you know, it is amusing, as it's going to be pointed out, and has been pointed out, that basically this final season of Tekken Dynasty is, like, a third of the show. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> but it's the best part of the show. So I am not against there being more of it and they're taking their time uh, to do it right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's really about it for the book scan list. I mean, I don't know if, if you have any stray thoughts before we move on. Once again, it's a Viz Media dominated list, a Shonen Jump dominated list. Attack on Titan is the only series in here that isn't from Viz. So, you know, I mean, it's great seeing Viz continue to dominate the market. And it's all the usual suspects of a very popular series. Not the most exciting in terms of saying, oh, cool, there are other genres of manga doing really well. Other types of series beyond Shonen doing really well. But, you know, it's cool to see that these series in particular are very strong. And, of course, you know, when the sheer fact is that the whole the top 20 adult graphic novels are manga, I mean, it's just a good state for the manga manga industry in North America to be in for like manga to comprise like the most highest selling graphic novels being published right now. So that's always a cool thing to see, even though, you know, I, I appreciate the lists when they have a little more variety from other publishers and from other genres. Mm-hmm. Can't help what people are into and the people are definitely into Chainsaw Man and Jujutsu Kaisen and your Demon Slayers. So people love that shit. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much about it for our list news, Lum, if you want to move on to serialization news. Yep, and on the subject of Shonen Jump series, let's start with a Shonen Jump spinoff series that's coming to an end soon, and that's Shaman King and the Garden. This spinoff story about, like, the witch trio in the series, Kana, Matilda, Marion, it's coming to an end. It's going to conclude in the next issue of Nakayoshi on May 2nd, so, yeah, I mean, I still have not gone on the series, but I've heard very good things from Moxie, from V-Lord. I always like these characters and so this, you know, flashback story, this story like said in the past, exploring them, how they met, you know, that was very interesting to me. So yeah, I'm very keen to get into it and then read through it and yeah, I mean there's just so many Shaman King spinouts that are running concurrently and they'll continue to be started. But I will, you know, there's so many characters in Shaman King so it's great that we're getting like these different spinoff mangas every now and then do four different characters. These characters no exception so very very cool one day i will get into the shaman king manga verse just you wait yeah i mean the shaman king compare like i will i have to count and see how many sequel spinoffs it has compared to like other series with like an egregious amount of those like fairy tale in terms of what's available in english fairy tale is a bunch attack and titan has a lot there's so many manga franchises genuine franchises out there like multiple different types of titles <laughs> based on one ip so it's very interesting but now we're going to talk about a lot of new series that are coming out and we are going to start with a creator who's returning to manga after some health problems a few years ago and that's yako Goreshi. a few years ago they had to end their some more in the Garden Forest manga prematurely because, you know, worsening health problems. And they would like to restart it, but they put out a statement saying, you know, due to the state of the industry, due to their own lack of ability to do it, to resume the manga would require a lot of staff. But, you know, the manga creators themselves are the ones who pay the salaries of their assistants. And Horeshi has unemployed and doesn't have any money or income. So in order to resume Samari, they need a big studio. They need to be able to pay staff. And they're not in the place to do that. But what they have put out to fans is saying, like, hey, you know, if... You know, my name becomes more popular. And if the quote unquote strange custom of this industry disappear, whatever politics behind the scenes they're referring to, they think it would be possible to resume Samari one day. And so they just asked for fan support uh, for the manga, like purchasing the book, uh, spreading the word about their situation. 
They didn't directly ask for Dontrusion's ordinations, but they have a fixed found box account, so you can support them that way, and that's similar to a Patreon. So yeah, I mean, it doesn't look, sadly, that Samari will be able to continue at this point in time, but with support, perhaps there will be the opportunity to in the future. But in the meantime, they are still making manga. Goreshi is launching a new manga on webcomic Zenyon on April 26th. So we don't have a lot of new details about this manga, but it is really encouraging that they are going to continue creating series. They are returning to making manga. They're still working with kind of the Zenyon comics and kind of family of sites with webcomic Zenyon. So yeah, you know. It's going to be nice to see them return. I don't know if we'll get their new work localized, but, you know, it's good to see, you know, after you know, their health problems, they're they're feeling comfortable. They're feeling like they're in a place that they can do manga again, or at least I hope that's the case. I hope that, you know, they, they mentioned that financially they're not doing well, so I hope that this isn't them pushing themselves too hard because they have no other options. But if you were a fan of Somali and you're looking forward to more gracious works, I would just encourage you to support them, uh, support their new work, support Samari by producing it, spreading the word about it, and help this creator out because they're a very talented creator and yeah, they really deserve to be in a better situation than they are currently in. Next, we are going to talk about another new manga from a beloved creator, a beloved creator of mine in particular, and that's Harold Sikuishi, the author of Beck. They are coming up with a new manga called Gorilla Man 40 that has already launched at the time that we are recording this. So yeah, I mean, we have Beck and we have Seven Shakespeare from Harold Sakuishi. I would definitely like to see their new series that they're serializing in Weekly on Magazine as well. It's basically, you know, a continuation of a previous series of them, uh, Gorilla Man, which they did in the 80s. It was his debut work. It was like 19 volumes. It was about a guy who transfers into new high school. He's very shy, but he gets along with the delinquents in his class. And he has kind of, you know, a face that... Reminds us of the Gorilla Man, so that's why he's called Gorilla Man. And Gorilla Man 40, as the title implies, follows this protagonist as he's not 40 years old. So how has he transitioned from being high school delinquent, or in the company of high school delinquents, and now he's in the working world? And that's a pretty cool take. So, yeah, I mean, I like Sakushi's work. I would like to see another work of theirs. Uh, localized translated with this being a sequel to uh their previous series and a series from the 80s at that that it hasn't been localized it's kind of long i don't know if we will but I, I would like to see it and i feel like the premise of it perhaps can stand on its own without reading the original like just this idea of like hey this guy was kind of a delinquent or he was in the company of delinquents when he was in high school and now he's in the working world and what is going to happen then so you know i'm a fan of sakushi's work and i'm just interested in seeing how this one pans out if it'll be like kind of a, a longer running thing. And it's cool that he gets a chance to revisit like his first, you know, really hit work as well. That's pretty neat. Now, we also got a new manga from Yumi Umida coming. This series is called Yukari and Yukari. It is going to come out on the April 27th issue of Monthly Spirits. It is going to be about a mother who in her teens ran out to the city to pursue her dreams and now in her 40s travels back to her hometown with her daughter in tow. Which, to me, it reminds me a lot of the beginning premise of Sand Chronicles. That is kind of a similar 
beginning premise so uh that series went in a different direction i think the protagonist of the series is going to be the mother character and kind of her you know reconciling with the fact that her dreams just didn't pan out and now she has to return to her hometown and kind of the malaise of that and her daughter adjusting to living in her hometown so it's a it's a very interesting premise so i'm definitely keen to check it out you know obviously unita is infamous for bunny drop which is <laughs> way terrible creative choices uh, it is very uh, understandably reviled. Uh, I agree with that for sure. But they, their other work has been pretty interesting. Slumbering Beauty was a charming series. You have a good art style. And this premise definitely intrigues me in terms of like the potential of it. So I am definitely keen to follow and see like how this will pan out. And hopefully it'll get localized at some point in the future. I know you're probably going to hate me for this, but... You know, I think maybe after we suffer through Platinum Men, maybe Bunny Drop will be the next thing I pick that I suffer through. The problem with Bunny <laughs> Drop is that the first half of the manga before the time skip where the main girl, you know, becomes a high schooler, uh, you know, the, the first half is perfectly fine and charming, like fodder raising little kid thing. Yeah, yeah. And then in the second part, the high school part is just very frustrating for most of it because obviously, you know, we have to deal with this thing of like oh she's crushing on her adoptive father and then we have the whole side plot with her like best friend who has a crush on her and all that stuff you know it's mostly just very frustrating slice of life rom-com drama things but like with the uncomfortable out of like you know she's crushing on her father figure and then it's like of course, they have to have, like, the whole, oh, oh, but they're not actually related, so it's okay, you know? She's she's not a blood relative of her father figure, not of Daikichi. And so, like, the manga really then just pushes it to be like, oh, no, it's circumstantially, it's totally okay. And it's, like, this whole philosophy <laughs> oh, that you see in a lot of uh, manga, especially a lot of, like, a particular type of Shoujo Jose manga, where, like, the idea is, like, you know, love is love, and so long as there's love, it's fine, you know? So... Age gap relationships, you know, they're romanticized and they're portrayed, you know, as sweet and stuff. And so it's it's really just the last volume mission, the conclusion of the manga that just sours it all, just sours the entire story up until that point. But I mean, that in just describing that, I basically just described, well, the, you know, this is bunny drop, basically. This is all, uh, I mean, it, it could be worth a discussion. But in terms of like just uh, truly like awful series, there's like series, it's not like Cloud to Men where it's like, from begin from the beginning, it is just <laughs> just uh, a real trial to read in terms of like just being unpleasant. But this series, it's like first half, you know, you can go along with it fine. It's not it can be a little charming. Second half, it becomes very frustrating, and then it just really loses you and upsets you at the conclusion it makes and it, it really grosses you out too like kind of the note it leaves off on of like she's saying like oh i want to have uh your kid and raise them just as well as you raised me and it's just terrible it's like why that's just a gross line why did you think that's romantic like oh my god who knows um so what you're telling me is is that bunny drop is technically way more disappointing because it actually starts off pretty good and then ends really terribly yeah, I mean, it is more disappointing. Like, people, especially people who watched it through the anime, which did not get to the time skip and stuff, people were like, oh, Bunny Drop is one of the sweetest, like, child racing series out there. You know, it's a very sweet relationship between this father and his adoptive daughter and, and trying to raise her, you know. And then they go to the manga and the 
the time given they're like why did it go in this direction why it could have been you know or just continue to be a sweet series about raising a child but then it becomes like oh the child you raised fell in love with you and now wants a relationship with you and then you agree to it and it's why do you why why did you make this choice Mm -hmm. no see i i'm definitely aware of all that because i also watched the anime you know way back in the day and i really really enjoyed it and then that's when i found out uh you know where the story went you know through the manga material that the anime fortunately i guess in this case didn't cover but uh look i i can't help it what can i say i'm attracted to controversy i i always hear things about the latter half of the manga and it's you know it's it sounds terrible don't get me wrong but it's also one of those things where it's like i'm just it, it makes me more interested in like just kind of taking a look at it and like examining it and like really talking about just like the the, the weird turns it takes and like why it just doesn't work that, that that that's the kind of stuff i find really interesting about certain stories personally yeah yeah i wish it was like weirder like, i wish it was like more baffling weirder in like a fun way yes in the same way it's like had a man it's just like very frustrating and upsetting and enraging like i i very much appreciate the people who have like just visceral like man i got so angry at this you know i love jason thompson's positive was a manga on it where like this was like that it was like the most kind of upset he was like writing about a series Woof. and then you know the weekly manga recap episode on it is just classic nick just raging about it for 30 <laughs> minutes uh, but you know, it, I it's in terms of like it really is just the the ending, the very final ending of the series that like really casts a sour note on the whole thing and just makes it like just truly awful <laughs> as an experience. Where it's like before then, it's like well, this is pretty tedious in the high school stretch but like it's not it doesn't get to the truly upsetting point until like the very very end so it's it's not as much of a train wreck as you would like in terms of like things you want to talk about as far as bad series goes no that that that's fair hey just 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 an idea but uh you know yeah i'm not opposed to it i mean like it's it'd be interesting to cover it with certain uh people who'd be able to talk about certain aspects of it uh certain choices it makes it's like the things it does well in the first half and then like where it goes off the rails and second so you know it'd be worthwhile for discussion but uh yeah anyway her daughter works slumbery beauty was a good series which i didn't have really any problems with so i am interested in more of their work uh, and I, this series in particular because of its premise you know I, I there's a lot of potential in it so yeah i, I am interested in it now, another series that I'm interested in from an author, I really like, whose works we sadly don't have, you know, their manga in English, but Yuki Kadama, you know, the author of Kids on the Soak, is coming out with a new series in the May issue of Chicago Guns Flower Magazine. It's a two-chapter side story for her manga, you know, Blue Flower Forest Vessels. But then she's going to be launching a new manga in Flowers in the October issue, which is going to come out in August 26th. So, yeah, I mean, I would like to see the Blue Flower Force Vessels get uh, localized at some point. I would like to just see more of Yuki Kodama's, like, manga localized. Like, I've, you know, I've read the Kids on the Soul manga, at least most of it. It's a cool, you know, her art's really great. Her her storytelling's really great. So I would like to just see more of their works uh, localized. Uh, None of them have been, even though Kids on the Soul is... It's a fairly critically acclaimed series, uh, the anime adaptation of it, which is a shame it didn't get enough attention for the manga to get localized. But, you know, hopefully we will see what other works when these days get localized. Now, we're going to be talking about a creator who's coming out. And we've, they've been saying that they, they're coming out with a new work for a bit. And now I think we got the conversation of what that work will be. And that's Tatsuki Fujimoto. They're going to have a new, like, one-shot drop 
on April 11th, but it's, uh, it's going to be in kind of like look back and that it's really going to be a full volume length manga that's going to be dropping all at once. It's going to be a full 200 pages work and presumably it's going to be dropping on Jump Plus. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting to get basically a full volume of a Fujimoto work like all at once. Oh, man. Working hard of it. I mean, he's, he mentioned in an interview a little while ago that he was like interested in working on a series that had like a femme fatale team. He likes the idea of a woman destroying everything along her way. Mm. And so <laughs> I don't know if that is this series necessarily because this interview where he said that was just a couple weeks ago on March 16th and now already this 200 page one shot is coming out by the time you're listening to this it'll probably be out or it'll come out like in the next day or so so we'll see if like this is what he's actually talking about it is going to be the femme fatale idea or it's just some other idea he's been working on in the dimension but still it's just cool to have like another like full volume Fuji would have worked just dropped on us all at once it's gonna be a fun thing to read and I'm surely a fun thing to discuss on the next time we uh do a catch-up on news or simulpubs. Oh my god, yeah. I, I can't wait for more Fujimoto manga to talk about. Look, as much as I desperately really need Chainsaw Man Part 2 to come as soon as possible, I'll literally take any other Fujimoto manga at this point. Like, I, I'm pretty starved for it right now. Indeed. In terms of other Jump Plus manga news, there's going to be a adaptation of the new Netflix movie Bubble that is going to be drawn by Hijihara Arubo on Jump Plus starting on April 22nd. And the first volume of this adaptation is going to come out on May 2nd. So only two weeks or so after the manga is going to begin its serialization in Jump Plus, which uh, leads me to believe like the first chapter of these, the first few chapters of these are probably going to be pretty lengthy. And I wonder if this is going to be a one volume work or it's going to be a two volume work. But, you know, this bubble anime movie, it has some buzz for like a lot of interesting names attached to it. Like Obata is the character designer and such. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting thing. And I wonder if we'll get this manga adaptation on Manga Plus or even Viz itself will pick it up. But it'd be neat. I would like to check that out if it does get put out. And, you know, it's going to come out basically right around the time the Netflix release of the film will be on the 28th. So, you know, in terms of like synergy promotion, like it makes sense why this is coming out when it is. And hopefully, like if it gets localized, it will also come out around the same time. But we'll, we'll see. But yeah, definitely an interesting thing. And now as far as uh, other jump related news and like spinoff kind of related news, where has been newer news about more Despo Kishibe Rohan chapters. And it's going to be a big one because it's going to be like its first two part story called Dripping Arctic Deep, the 11th story of the series. The first part is coming out on the April 5th issue of Ultra Jump, so it'll be out by the time you're listening to this. And then there's going to be potentially like a second part, a third part in the future. So this is pretty interesting. Like most of the Rohan Kishibe stories have just been single chapter stories. There has not been a multi part story yet. So it's cool. It's going to 
go into doing like an arc for the Royal Gishide manga. So definitely curious to see what it'll be about, especially, you know, the 10th chapter had recently just come out in March too. So this is like the shortest time between like the publication of new Kishibe Rowan chapters. Like Iraqi really is like devoting some time to spend on the series and trying some more stuff for it, which is pretty neat. I wonder if just the success of the live action series and the popularity of that is just encouraged and like, hey, do some more Rohan stories, make some more uh, material to explore the character that could also be later used in more adaptations for the, the live action series. So yeah. And it's very cool to see. And, you know, hearing about the new chapters, uh, what has been happening in them. Like, the 10th chapter, and I'll, this is going to be one of my CUNY shoutouts, but Hammond B covered it, and it sounds just like a lot of fun in terms of, like, <laughs> how would Rohan deal with working during the pandemic <laughs> and having to wear masks, being, like, the the virulent antisocial like he is, and him getting, like, a, a COVID pet and his little pet dog. <laughs> and it's just... Uh, it's just really great premise to it uh so yeah like araki's coming up with some really fun stories uh using ron's character so uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing what this new multi-part story is going to be like mm, that sounds pretty cool and uh that's not the only spin-off news we have to talk about colton i believe you wanted to take this one yeah, so it was announced in the April issue of Shigaku Khan's Monthly Sunday GX that Black Lagoon is going to be getting another spin-off manga by Hajime Yamamura, who I believe was the author of uh, Kamisama Dolls, entitled Black Lagoon Ida Initial Stage, which uh, I guess is going to be like a like a prequel spin-off thing. Yeah, I mean, it's going to focus on Ada in her early days as a rookie in the CNA. So it's going to take place like before the events of... Black Lagoon when she was just becoming a CIA agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think I think that's perfect for a Black Lagoon spinoff because I'm not going to lie, like, you know, when I initially got into Black Lagoon and I was kind of watching it for the first time and, you know, they eventually reveal that Ida is like an undercover CIA agent or whatever in Ronapur. I thought that was really cool. And, you know, a part of me was like, man, I really want to like, I want to see like more stories about her because she's like a really fun character and I really love the way she interacts with uh, Revy in particular. Their interactions are always fun. So, to get an entire spinoff about her, I think, like, I think it makes the most sense. Like, if there was anybody I would want to see a spinoff for, you know, from Black Lagoon, it would be her. So, I mean, I, I don't know what the likelihood of this, you know, being picked up is, but I would love to be able to read this officially. I would like to read this. Yeah, I like Ada a lot. And it'd be fun to see, like, oh, well, where where did her story begin? Like, what was her journey as a as a CIA agent? How did it lead her to be stationed in Ranapur? Or how did she originally meet Revy? What were some of their initial interactions and adventures together? That'd be fun to explore. So I definitely would like to read this. We have not... However, you know, got in the other Black Lagoon spinoff manga when focused on Sawyer, which has been running for a while, it has multiple volumes out and still has not been licensed by Viz. So, I mean, I would like uh, this to get licensed. I would like that Sawyer manga to get licensed. So hopefully, eventually they will. But yeah, I mean, nonetheless, it's very cool to see, you know, more Black Lagoon content, more stories getting out there. And yeah, you know, it really uh, will tie this over, you know, with the very understandable hiatuses the main series has. So I would like to see these get licensed and published uh, to give us some new Black Lagoon material to read while we're waiting for the return of the main series. Please, yes. Now we have just some uh, other one-shot or 
like things ending news. So mainly like Shigakam related too. So uh, Rumiko Takahashi, of course, has just published at the time of listening to this, you know, her new Rumik Theater short story devoted to S. So I mean, from the cover image of this and basically from the the title, I, I can imagine like, you know, there's something involving maybe a S&M relationship, something involving like an engraved vetting ring and maybe a guy just a little too into something. So, you know, it'll be another one of her weird twisted kind of uh, <laughs> relationship type stories. But I always like Takashi's one stop. So definitely keen to see how this one will pan out. And another, like, shocking late news, probably should have mentioned this for the other series uh, ending type news earlier, but it's the bookend. And that's Evans is going to be ending pretty soon. The final volume is coming out in June. It'll end with its 20th volume. And, yeah, I mean, this is a series that sadly we have not gotten localized yet, but ever since Sakaki started doing his weekly uh, Shonen Sunday talkbacks on his blog and then now Twitter, he covered, like, the first chapters of the series and always intriguing back then just the aesthetic of it the premise of it and uh, I enjoyed following along about what's been happening in the series even though you know haven't gotten a chance to read it yet since it's not been made available officially and yeah it's interesting that it's coming to an end hopefully I have a good ending and this is another one of those recent modern Shonen Sunday series that I'm like man I would really love for someone to pick this up Wiz or Seven Seas or anyone this looked like a ton of fun real fun characters but this is one of the bigger longer running series and Sunday and recent years too so it's pretty notable that it's come to an end and uh, I'm interested in more works by this author and I'm also again interested in hopefully seeing this localized one day mm-hmm. I'd definitely love to check it out too yeah and that does it for our serialization news now we're going to move into licensing news but before we get into our licensing list of course we just have a few updates and some titles added to digital services and first we're going to talk though about something that has been taken away from a digital service so book life has suspended their release of ranking of kings you know, we have talked about it before that the Ranking of Kings translation is bad. It's full of grammatical errors. Uh, the lettering is really unappealing. It, the translation is stiff. It, it's not natural. It feels like it was not edited at all. And uh, the situation is even worse than that. One of my community shoutouts is going to be Katarina Leono Dukas's uh, tread, like comparing it and uh, finding that, oh, well, uh, the Ragging King's official release uh, strangely has a, a lot of similar translation choices to the scalation, almost mm. as if it ripped it off and plagiarized it. But uh, yeah, so Book Live has suspended after, you know, all the outcry of controversy over the poor quality of the release, suspended the distribution of ranking of kings they're going to retranslate the series and they're going to announce more details about it at a later date uh, and release the manga quote-unquote as soon as possible so hopefully they take some time to do some quality control like do a proper retranslation from the ground up you know uh, give their translators whoever they are like the time uh they need to translate it properly have an editor actually go through it catch errors um make some better lettering choices so yeah i mean it's just such a shame that you know such a, a series that is like just so popular in the zeitgeist right now with the anime of Ranking Kings you know it's just the perfect time to release the manga it, get people buying it but then to give them in return just a shoddy project uh, is just really shooting yourself in the foot book life so you know this is the, the consequence of like trying to do things fast and on the cheap uh, without like proper quality control trying to get a lot of volumes out there all at once rather than taking your time to do them right so hopefully they will reassess their strategy and they will produce a better translation 
elevation and localization of ranking kings uh, to be available on the digital marketplace. And then I just kind of hope that uh, another publisher whose work uh, we can we can trust a little better uh, will localize and license the series uh, for English release and print or whatever. So, you know, we will see. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I just want to be totally transparent. So I did bring this up in my licensing list on our last uh, news episode. And uh, I actually made the decision to take that out because the, the more we talked about it and the more we talked about, like, the, the actual quality of the release, I just decided to take that part of the show out because I didn't... Yeah, you weren't really plugged into the conversation about how poor the localization was. Yeah. So. Like, I knew it was, like, maybe not that great, but I didn't knew it was, like, this bad. So, like, I eventually took that part of the podcast out. I really didn't want to promote something that was uh, apparently this shoddy, and I feel very vindicated because I, I honestly wasn't expecting you know, this product to get pulled, but I'm glad it did because hopefully this means we'll get something better out of it. Hopefully, I'm really hoping, but uh, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing Kings definitely deserves better with how beloved the series is, with how good the series is, you know, it really deserves a better quality localization release. So hopefully, Please. you know, they'll take the time to do it right. Now uh, we're going to talk about, you know, some additions to digital manga platforms. Crunchyroll Manga has added six alpha manga titles. Alpha manga, of course, is an app we talked about a little while ago. and really didn't go to it in depth, but they have a lot of, like, Isekai-type series on there. And so Crunchyroll now has, like, six of their titles that's available on their service, including Tsukimichi, Moonlight Fantasy, Gate, Where JDSF Fought, May I Ask for One Thing, Observation Log of My Fiancé, Cross of Self-Villainous, Remonster, A Journeys to Another World, Raising Kids While Adventuring, and Accidentally so oops, sorry. So, yeah, I mean, if you were interested in checking out some of the titles on Alpha Manga and you already have a Crunchyroll Manga subscription, this is a good opportunity to check them out there. And, yeah, potentially that may interest you in checking out more of the titles available on Alpha Manga. Definitely a app service that we've been meaning to revisit at some point. Uh, but that they're not the only manga services adding new titles because Comics has launched an English version of their manga hop service and they have added a lot of series to the service. These include Fist of North Star, Legend of Lubu, Tokyo Duel, Keiju's Kabuki Adventure, Mother Parasite, Record of Ragnarok, which, side note, has also been added to Mangamo, which, I mean, Record of Ragnarok, it's really getting around, isn't it? It's oh, like yeah. on Comic Key, it's available for Viz, it's now available on Manga Hod, now it's also on Mangamo, so Record of Ragnarok, you can read it like everywhere. Right? <laughs> and it's also interesting, Fist of North Star uh, translation is the one from that, like, English ebook that they released ah, okay. a long time ago that was like old fist of north star on this like one like uh, ipad thing that they, they made so it's from there so you actually could read all of fist of north story in english on a uh, manga hot right now which is pretty interesting like it's not the same as the, the this localization but it's a, it's a complete english release but uh, i mean the big title here that we want to spotlight is city hunter which is translated by friend of the show david evelyn Ooh. And it's really cool. This was one of his bucket list series that he wanted to translate. And it's just so awesome that he, he was given this opportunity. And he gets to work on one of his favorite series and one of the series he always wanted to work on. And it's great to know that the Translation City Hunter is in such good hands. So that's very exciting and very excited to be able to get to read City Hunter now, hopefully in full, with David's translation. Uh, through uh, Bangkok. So, yeah, very, very exciting. Very exciting. 
saying, oh, like a lot of these titles are pretty cool. But like, yeah, Sydney Hunter is definitely the one that's like, oh, wow, it's so great to finally have this available. Mm -hmm. That would be really cool to be able to like actually read all the City Hunter and not just uh, have to read the original like five English volumes that we got here years and years ago and then nothing else. (laughs) Indeed. So yeah, like if you want to definitely check this out, Uh, the first few chapters are free. And I think then you need to like, Sign into a subscription to read more, I believe. But yeah, like, it's really cool. And hopefully there will be more titles being made available in English in the future. Like, the comics definitely has a lot of cool stuff. Uh, especially a lot of stuff from uh, Tetsuohara and also uh, stuff from the City Hunter creator. So yeah, very, very cool. And uh yeah, I mean, that sort of catches up up on like platforms but the other like digital release we wanted to mention before we get into our licensing list is that ayakashi triangle you know we mentioned before that the volumes being offered by viz were suddenly delisted earlier this year we weren't really sure what that means but we speculated that it was probably because it had been licensed by a different publisher for print and digital releases of the volumes. And indeed, that has been proven true because Seven Seas did announce and confirm that it's going to be releasing Ayakashi Triangle uncut physically and digitally starting in November. So yeah, I guess Viz decided to pass on publishing Ayakashi Triangle themselves. They're still, of course, doing the simulpup, but they have kind of given away their their right, I guess, to do it digitally. Or, like, I guess there must have been some, some negotiation with Shueisha of, like, hey, this is a series we want to put on print. Was like, no, we don't want to put this out of print. And so Shueisha shopped it around, probably gave it this. Like, Seven Seas picked it up, and so that's when, like, okay, we're also giving them the digital rights if you're not going to do the print for us. And so this is probably... Kind of probably uh, without really much uh, fuss, <laughs> a lot of those to laughs and so Seven Seas now has both physical and digital rights to Ayakashi Triangle. So yeah, I mean, this is uh, probably a very good fit for them. Probably a better fit for them than Viz's own jump imprints. So you know, this being this pretty pretty appropriate for Ghost Ship. It's pretty in good company with Yuna and True Lovers. So yeah, I I think it's a good fit for Seven Seas and. It'll be interesting to see that if those like skip chapters uh, will be available in their volume releases. I'm sure they will, considering they're promoting this uh, very pointedly in the in the marketing and their tweet about it is that this is going to be an uncut release. So. Mm, I could see Ayakashi Triangle fans uh, starting a riot if those chapters aren't in the volume for some reason. That would be kind of weird. I don't think that'll happen. Mm, it would be very strange, yeah. But yeah, that's just the one licensing note we wanted to mention before this. And like, again, it's all speculation what happened behind the scenes like led to the decision. But I, I think, yeah, it is probably a matter of like, you know, just a conflict of interest from Viz on like what they wanted to do with Ayakashi Triangle, how they, whether they really want to commit to publishing it. And then Shueisha wanting it to be published by someone and then Seven Seas, you know, taking the jump when it was available to them. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, with all that out of the way, we should move on to our licensing list. And, um, Lum, are you okay with starting first or would you rather I go first? I can start first. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I mean, why don't we start at the beginning with the beginning? Adam, the beginning that is, Titan Comics has licensed the Astro Boy prequel manga from Tetsuro Kasahara and Masami Yuki at Adam the beginning. It's going to come out with volume one on October 11th later this year. Very exciting. I really enjoyed the anime version of this like five years ago at this point. So it's, it's kind of crazy it took this long since then to get the comic license. But hey, I'm glad it is because it's a cool 
cool prequel manga. It's basically, it's it's not quite like in the same continuity as the original Asuka. It really is like a what if of like, hey, what if uh, Tenma and Ochana Mizu, you know, were in college together and they made the prototype of Astro Boy together, A106, and they had to compete in this robot fighting league. And so it's really about like, you know, kind of the prototype for Astro Boy, Adam, you know, fighting in this fighting league and about like a relationship between Ochana Mizu and Tenma. And then like later on in the manga, from what I learned, it's like, <laughs> it actually plays into one of my favorite storylines in the manga, my favorite details in the manga, the Once Upon a Time Astro Boy tales and the whole idea of like Astro Boy <laughs> ended up traveling through time and uh, fought in the Vietnam War and like died in the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. Because like the premise is like, <laughs> at some point in the story is that they're told, hey, we saw there was like a mysterious robot boy sighted in in the Vietnam War and they go to Ho Chi Minh City to investigate. <laughs> and so it's it's kind of interesting playing of like uh, chronology, time loop stuff there. Um but yeah, it's just an interesting kind of look reimagining of like the origins of Astro Boy, uh origins of the character and the relationship between Achana Mizu and Tenma. And yeah, I, I like its interpretation. I think it's a fun series and yeah, I'm very glad to see this manga come out. And, uh, yeah, very, very, very cool. And next we'll head into some Kadansha titles I'm looking forward to. And speaking of, like, authors that I really like, there's they got two titles from authors I really like that they're going to be releasing soon. And that's a new work from Kyoko Kazaki, the Stark work, River's Edge. It's basically the premise, the short premise about this is uh, six high school friends. Their relationship becomes tighter when they discover an unknown quartz near the reader, uh, near a river, and it's like, oh, well, this is, I mean, from the title, like, a lot of people are thinking, I mean, you made the connection, wait, wait a minute, River's Edge, like the crime drama film from the 80s uh, that had a young Keanu Reeves in it? It's a very similar premise of, uh, you know, six friends finding a corpse near a river and, like, trying to investigate what's going on and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's like, oh, it's Kyoko Okazaki's kind of take on that story, which is also based on, like, a real-life story, too. So it's, like, it's probably, I mean, the title is just, like, flat wholesale taken, but maybe the actors who does the story are, like, tweaked, you know, to reflect, like, the, the setting that Okazaki's doing for himself. But, yeah, it's cool to get a new Okazaki work with such an interesting uh, premise and the illusions was making to that film and then of course the real life event that inspired that same story so yeah I'm definitely keen to read it. It's been a while since Okazaki's work has been published in English so it's, it's really cool to see another work from them and get to read a new work from them again. And next we got another work from Shuizu Asimi that Kodansha is going to be publishing called Sweet Poolside. And this is another interesting one kind of exploring puberty and kind of an interesting relationship formed kind of an unusual way just of like uh, the insecurities of its protagonist because it's about two middle school swimming students who, you know, one of them is like troubled by, you know, his lack of hair and is bullied for that. And the other one, his female friend is like bullied for having too much hair. And so she approaches him with a crazy request of, like, shaving her body hair for her. So it, you know, has the blend of the sweet and perverse, according to, you know, Kodansha's copy. But ultimately, it's going to be an innocent, charming story. And I definitely can get the sense of that from the synopsis. Just two, like, kids with kind of body issues going through puberty in different ways and just feeling kind of isolated and self-conscious about that. And they kind of make a connection because even though they have, like, kind of different problems, they're kind of in the same boat because of these problems. And they kind of form an understanding. They kind of form, like, a, a an unusual relationship, but a sweet one nonetheless and that seems really cool 
It seems generally really nice. And the last Kanejitaal that I want to highlight is Last Gender by Ray Taki. This is basically about a place called Bar, California, where people with different genders and sexual orientations gather to find a certain something, a certain je ne sais quoi that they're looking for. And so there's a lot of different characters. It seems to be like an anthology type story. You know, there's a trans bi person who's been hurt by, you know, other voices. There's a pansexual person who's looking for love. There's a person who is like gender fluid, identifies as both male and female. So it explores like kind of the breadth of different sexual identities and has a lot of different representation. So this sounds like it has a lot of potential to me in terms of exploring like different gender identities and uh, different queer characters trying to find community and trying to navigate their situations. And I, I heard from Dakazu like criticize this uh, from Manga Mac that, oh, he felt like a lot of the LGBTQ themes in this area were just used for drama, but I don't always see uh, necessarily eye to eye with them uh, when it comes to queer stuff, so I'm definitely interested and hopeful still that it explores these characters in interesting ways and has a lot to say pretty meaningfully about uh, identity, about sexuality, and just trying to figure yourself out and just find community understanding in other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to check this out. Yeah, and on the subject of other queer manga that I'm excited for, like recently, I mean, Viz themselves has not announced it, but Mieri Hiranashi announced that their series, A Girl That Can't Get a Girlfriend, is going to be published by Viz as a Viz original. And that's very exciting. I've been following Hiranashi's comics uh, for many years now, ever since they started publishing them, just their autobiographical story about their quest to find, like, a girlfriend, like, especially, you know, and handsome androgynous girlfriends. She's very interested in you know her struggles like with a particular like taste and like trying to find a partner and then like just her navigating just her, her sexuality and her relationships in life it's very charming very similar uh in tone to Kabi's work but just a little more comedic a little more uh light <laughs> but it's a lot of fun and so I'm very much excited to see that the work is going to get properly published like they talk about it in their announcement video that you know they had approached other publishers before in Japan and they gotten turned down but it's really great that Viz actually reached out to them and asked them if they wanted to publish uh, her work and that's really cool that she got it scouted for the Viz Originals imprint and it's really going to be great to be able to read her work in print and and through Viz so he seems to have a great working relationship with her editors of Viz, so she seems to be really excited about the uh, work she's doing. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing like uh, her work with Viz in terms of publishing the series through them and with them. And yeah, just her future manga. It's just really, really exciting. I'm very glad to see this for her. I'm really happy for her, yeah. Yeah, and then um, in terms of other queer titles or at least it's seemingly queer team titles we're heading to yet press and all these titles are going to come out in september 2022 uh i guess i should mention that kadansha uh did not provide release dates for their series i didn't mention them and girl got Girl a girlfriend has not been given a proper release date yet either but yet press is stuff that i'm going to talk about these are all coming up in september 2022 the first one of these I'm going to spotlight is She Loves to Cook and She Loves to Eat by Sakaomi Yuzaki. And this is about one girl who, you know, really likes cooking to de-stress, but she always makes more than she can eat herself. 
but she invites her neighbor one day who also lives alone to eat with her and what'll happen out of this impromptu dinner invitation so it seems like a sweet relationship develops over you know just the shared love of food like one person loving to cook one person loving to eat the other person's cooking which is very very sweet and next, similar to the kind of body image exploring premise of Oshimi's pull side, Yen is releasing Embracer Size by Hara, which is basically a manga that is like a love letter for those who dream of being fashionable, but consider the weight as an obstacle. It's an uplifting comic essay by a plus-sized author that chronicles her own journey with body positivity and learning to love herself as she is, which is super important and valuable. It's cool to see like this story get uh, licensed, and I'm really keen to read it as someone you know also has your body positive issues also like his his struggle with similar things it's really cool to to see as this story come and then next uh, we have a series that's very much in the zeitgeist of the new anime season right now it's very good timing for yen to announce that they've licensed this and that's execution and a way of life the manga adaptation by mato sato and ryo mitsuya it's basically a take on Isekai where it's like, what if, like, the people who come from another world, the people who come from Japan in this world, like, they come into this other world and then they just start, you know, they are given, like, these, like, supernatural powers and then they all go kind of crazy and they cause a muck in the world. So in the premise of this world, like, the church institution in this world has kind of set aside, like, executioners to take out, like, these people from Japan who've been isekai'd in before they can, like, you know, cause havoc and chaos. And so we follow, like, one of these executioners, Meno, and she comes across, like, a girl who's seemingly immortal. She refuses to die. And so she has to go on a particular journey to find something that can slay this immortal girl who is very much smitten with her and wants to travel with her. So it becomes kind of an interesting odd couple, like Yuri uh, fantasy adventure series. So yeah, I mean, you know, well, the first episode has been very well received. It has a really great, interesting premise. And yeah, I'm very excited to see that the manga has gotten licensed as well. You know, very good timing from Yen. But yeah, like this is gonna, this is one of the standout shows of the season right now. The light novel had a really good buzz for a long time. I'm really excited to see uh, the manga adaptation, how that fares as well. Now, in terms of other series exploring characters coming in from another world and now transitioning into a series also about magical girls, we got a title from a blade that I'm interested in that's actually kind of an interesting cross-promotional work, and that's Magical Bee Sherbert. And this series is going to come out uh, digitally and worldwide in 2023. It's going to be distributed in print by Don McCown Diamond Book Distributors. And it's, yeah, based on K-Line Sherbert character. It's going to be written by Rai and drawn by Mochi Usai. And K-Line is a company that, you know, makes Kirigumi fursuits and designed the Sherbert character for their showcase line. And they have like a YouTube channel uh, called Sherbert Shenanigans that you can uh, check out for more backstory on the character. But basically the premise of the series is, you know, Sherbert is like a magical creature from another world where like different species are locked in a magical beast war. But he accidentally triggers like a portal and ends up in the human world. And, you know, he doesn't have like any like knowledge about 
our world and our ways, but he wants to become a human there. So he battles other magical creatures, make a way across the earth. And he basically, in the premise of this series, uh, he meets like kind of a, you know, main heroine, uh, and basically teams up with her and she can draw on his power to become a magical girl. And like through their cooperation working together, like, you know, he kind of starts to learn what it means to be a real hero. So yeah, it's a kind of a fun, like kind of, a take on a, a magical girl series that actually is like starring the pet companion kind of is like the primary protagonist almost so it seems cool and it's very much like this manga license is very much as part of like a multimedia push the anime is currently in the works from zex is also aiming to come out next year so you know it, it sounds like a fun premise it's a cute character i'm definitely curious to see how it'll pan out but in terms of other Magical Girl series that were recently licensed that I'm interested in goes, Jane Novel Club has one that, you know, the first two chapters are out right now, and I haven't got a chance quite yet to read it, uh, but it's Gushing Over Magical Girls, and that's from Akihiro Ono Naka. And it's about a person who, you know, was like a normal magical girl loving middle school girl. But then a talking mascot showed out of the blue and cast a spell on her. And she thought, oh, well, now's my chance to become a magical girl. But no, she gets transformed into the villain. Like, <laughs> and what's happening? And so she starts out as a shy magical girl fan. Now she becomes a sadistic dominatrix as often seen in magical girls theories. So, you know, it's a fun take. And like the, a magical girl fan actually ends up becoming the villain in a magical girl the premise situation so i think that's a really cool fun take and definitely curious and keen to check more of the series out and then my final license i want to spotlight also from jane novel club is actually a light novel but one with a premise that i find really fun and that's VTuber Legend, How I Went Viral After Forgetting to Turn On My Stream. This comes from Nana Nanato and has illustrations from Shio's Kazunoko. And it's about like a 20-year-old like former weight slave who basically it works as a streamer now for one of like Japan's top VTuber companies. Like she, her online personality is like a very polite character. She delivers ladylike content, but her subscriber count and savings, you know, they're at rock bottom. And so one day, you know, after she ends her screen, like, she cracks a few cold ones and makes more than a few crude jokes while watching, like, her archives, uh, the, the archives of uh, her company. And then, like, her viewers, you know, she's still streaming, so her viewers heard it all, and, like, all the clips of her body drunken commentary, like, they go viral. And so, rather than her career being over and her getting in trouble for it, like, it, she's a big hit. So, like, her manager and everyone's like, oh, man, we've been waiting for you to stop, and we've been waiting for you to, like, really <laughs> reveal your true potential personality. So then she gets, like, free reign to just change her personality. She gets to be a rowdy drunk on screen. She gets to, like, completely throw away this idea of, like, the pure like ladylike image and just gets to be like truly like super crazy and trashy and so you know it, her views of finances skyrocket and like now she's really having fun with it so it really seems like a great fan it seems it reminds me a lot of like wave listen to me of like just how minari you know just finds a lot of success just being super bold and crass on the radio and just people appreciating like kind of that honest like no mass side of her so like i like that aspect of this it sounds like a lot of fun I'm definitely keen to check it out and read it but yeah that does it for the licenses I want to spotlight some real good stuff some really nice stuff I'm looking forward to excited about but uh you've got some stuff on your list that are pretty cool so why don't you take it away yeah so it's time for my licensing list and I definitely have a lot on here I'm very excited about uh one of them being a title from a blaze publishing uh and this one's really interesting because and I'll get into it a bit but I 
I'm not entirely sure, like, because uh, the well, let me let me just talk about the title first. So uh, we have Blitz, which is basically a chess manga in which Tom, a young high school student, has a crush on his classmate Harmony. And when he learns about her passion for chess, Tom quickly decides to sign up for the school's chess club. But he doesn't know the rules uh, to impress Harmony. He is left with no choice. He must learn quickly and train seriously. Soon, Tom discovers the existence of Gary Kasparov, uh, the greatest player in the history of chess. <laughs> he, he he stumbles upon a virtual reality helmet that promises to help him analyze the most legendary uh, matches of the master. Uh, so, yeah, this was, I don't know, a comic about chess. And I don't play a lot of chess myself, but weirdly, a comic about chess sounds really interesting, especially since, like... I was really trying to like do a little research on this because ANN article announcing this says it launched on Shonen Jump Plus, but I don't know if that's like where it originally started because I think this is a French comic originally that maybe Jump got like the rights to like run on their service or something. I'm not entirely sure about that. I'll have to like do more research, but um, yeah, I don't know. This just uh, it just sounded interesting. And uh, I don't know, I, I haven't read a lot of comics about chess and as someone who doesn't really play a whole lot of chess, it, it has me really interested. So I played chess throughout my middle school and high school. I was in chess club. I participated in innumerable chess tournaments. So this is very much up my alley. Just a manga about chess, competitive chess, and just the idea of like his having a workshop mentor of Gary Kasparov just becoming obsessed with Gary Kasparov. And also him basically being his the side to his cigar like a card ago. Uh, but with Gary Kasparov, this is very funny to me. So I'm pretty into this. I'm very much, you know, this is very much up my alley with you know my relationship to chess. So yeah, very, very excited. You know, I didn't even think about that connection. And now that now that you've made it, I can't like unsee it. Maybe maybe we might have to cover this on the show, actually. That might be kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a lot of fun. Um, but yes, I'm definitely very interested in like keeping an eye out on that at, at the very least. Uh, next title I'm going to bring up is from Starfruit Books, and they actually announced a new horror title, a, a, a new collection of horror stories from Norui Michiru entitled The Horrors of Norui Michiru, uh, which I guess is going to be a two-volume collection of, you know, scary stories, an anthology of scary stories that's going to be releasing later in the year, later in 2022, uh, and we'll even have some extras, including possibly an interview, as they uh, as they mentioned. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at their, like, initial, like, announcement tweet uh, that includes, like, you know, preview images and stuff. And man, some of this stuff looks really gruesome. This looks like some really creepy stuff that uh, I would love to check out. I mean, you know, I I've mentioned on the show before, but um, I'm all about supporting horror titles that aren't just like another collection of Junji Ito stuff. And that's not to knock Junji Ito because his stuff is really, really good. And there's a reason why he's popular. But, you know, I I'm looking forward to the day where like the horror genre of manga is a little more diverse than it is right now, hopefully. And you know, I, I think Matt and Starford Books are doing a really great job of, like, trying to add a little variety to that sort of subgenre of manga. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool that they're licensing more horror comics, especially, like, a lot of, like, overlooked horror comics. So I'm definitely very excited for this. It looks really fantastic. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to check this out when it's out. Um, something else I'm also very, very excited for is that uh, Titan Comics, uh, we mentioned them earlier with uh, Adam the Beginning, uh, they are going to be releasing a director's cut edition of Takashi Okazaki's 1999 Afro Samurai manga. Do you remember Afro Samurai? Because <laughs> I sure do. 
um, you, you may recognize Afro Samurai as uh, as an anime that uh, Funimation uh, released, again, 15 years ago at this point, starring Samuel L. Jackson. I can't believe that, like, exists, honestly. Like, I, I didn't, because, like, I remember watching Afro Samurai, like, a long, long time ago when it was, like, way more relevant. It was, like, getting video games and stuff. Like, it's just kind of hitting me now that, like, oh, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson was in an anime. That's really cool. But... Yeah, so seeing this announcement first off really made me feel nostalgic and made me remember that, oh yeah, I forgot that Afro Samurai had like a manga and I'd always wanted to check it out and I just never got around to it. So I'm I'm really glad that they're like releasing this new edition for it. And I guess I guess pre-orders for it are already up on like Amazon and Forbidden Planet, and I'm sure probably other places, but yeah, it looks like it's going to be coming out on July 26th, so just a few months away, and uh, I'm definitely going to be looking into getting this, because I haven't interacted with Afro Samurai in a long time, but honestly, I think it's about time that I finally give the manga a chance, because I've never read it, but I've always wanted to. Yeah, I think it's really cool that it's getting a new edition. I'm definitely keen to check it out. It's Yeah, it's also been a long time since I've visited Afro Samurai, but it's a lot of fun. And it's cool that the original manga is like getting a, a new version. I hate to give us more work, but Afro Samurai, another thing I would actually probably love to like talk about in the show, actually, and explore it. That would be really cool. Absolutely. But uh, next up, I want to talk about a title from One Piece Books, in which they will be releasing the first volume of Ritsu Miyako's Usotoki Rhetoric. Uh, that'll be coming out on September 22nd. The manga takes place in 1926, uh, the first year of the Showa era, in which Urabe Kanoko has left her hometown after it turns against her for having the ability to hear lies when spoken. She collapses from hunger after arriving in a town called Sukumoya, where she meets a poverty-stricken detective named Iwa Soma. Is this fate or something more? Ooh. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I've said it multiple times. I'm pretty into like, you know, old Japanese like period pieces and stuff. And this sounds like a really interesting premise, like, you know, a character that has the ability to like hear lies and like decipher them and whatnot, you know, teams up with this detective. And I'm, I don't know, it just sounds like an interesting setup for a premise. And yeah, I'm sure it'll be like a really interesting, like thriller mystery kind of thing, possibly. I don't know. It just, it just sounds cool. I would, I would love to check it out. Yeah, I've heard a lot of excitement from this one from friends online, so I'm very keen to read it. It sounds like it's going to be a really good one. Mm -hmm. uh, next title I want to talk about, actually the next few I want to talk about, are from Kodansha. So apparently, I, I was kind of looking this up, I think some of these are coming out this fall, or I think specifically whatever they announce for print, I should say, which includes Sky Grazer from Masakazu Ishiguro, who I guess is the author of Heavenly Delusional, which I believe is a title coming out from Denpa, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they've been publishing that one. Uh, in which there are weird people abound in a mysterious structure called the Sky Grazer. Some boys looking for an erotic book, a space detective, a robot, and then a murder happens? Agent Saiko Sakuraba begins an investigation to reveal the astonishing truth hidden in the Sky Grazer. And I'm not going to lie, the, the first thing I thought when I initially read the premise for this, the first thing I thought was, this sounds like something Naoki Urasawa would write. Like, I could I could see this being like an Urasawa comic. It just sounded really interesting. Yeah, I guess it has a 20th century boy vibes with the description. 
But yeah, it looks like this is going to be coming out this fall in print. So that's pretty cool. You know, it's a shame. I still haven't checked out Heavenly Delusional, but I've heard good things about it. So I, I clearly need to check out this person's work. And then next up, we have Windbreaker from Satoru Ni. This will be coming out digitally on April 26, in which Haruka Sakura wants nothing to do with weaklings. He's only interested in the strongest of the strong. Uh, he's just started at Furin High School, a school of generates known only for their brawling strength, strength they use to protect their town from anyone who wishes it ill. But Haruka is not interested in being a hero or being a part of any sort of team. He just wants to fight his way to the top. So this is clearly a series with a very straightforward premise so far. And uh, look, I, I like I like delinquent high school manga. Like this is a pretty easy sell for me. I would check this out. It just sounds fun. Uh, next up, we have uh, a title that admittedly is on my list because I saw Maxi really, really excited for this one. And anything that Maxi is excited for, <laughs> it immediately goes on my list. Uh, and that is The Fable by Katsuhisa Minami, uh, which will be coming out digitally on April 12th, in which when you're the infamous prodigy hitman known only as Fable, many things come easy. Being a normal person, however, isn't one of them. In fact, being told that he can't kill anyone for a while may just be the hardest job Fable's ever taken. So yeah, once again, you know, not only do I like high school delinquent manga, I'm also about like assassin manga. So this is even if Maxi wasn't excited for this and didn't bring it to my attention, like I would still probably like check this out because I like assassins. What can I say? They're cool. But yeah, the fact that Maxi is was like super excited about this title in particular just makes me that much more excited for it. So look, Ma Maxi has great taste in manga. I don't know what you want me to do. Uh, but uh, so that's about it for all the um, Kodansha stuff. And the last two titles, well, I guess I should say the next two titles I'm going to talk about are titles from Seven Seas. Uh, the first of which being Futari Escape from Shoichi Taguchi. Uh, that'll be coming out digitally and physically this November, in which two young women, one an overworked manga artist and the other a complete slacker, try to escape the realities of adult responsibilities. Uh, whether it's running off on a day trip instead of being productive or going into depth for an epic meal, the two always have fun when they're together. Enjoy this delightful and relatable slice of life tale about the little pleasures in ducking away from the hard stuff. And yeah, this just sounds like a nice, like relaxing sort of slice of life-ish manga about these two girls who just want to hang out with each other. And it just, just sounds nice and pleasant. So that's why I put it on my list. Uh, the other Seven Seas title I really wanted to mention was Ramen Wolf and Curry Tiger from Emboss, which will be uh, coming out in August of this year, in which uh, we meet our new favorite food critics, a chubby wolf named Mita Jiro and a ripped tiger named Inagi Kagetora. Uh, Kagetora used to eat to live, but all that changed when he met Jiro, who lives to eat. Uh, Jiro is more than happy to help his striped feline friend explore the restaurants and delicacies tucked within their city and he enjoys all their finds with great relish. There's nothing better than a hot meal to bring two guys together in this deliciously illustrated story of food, fur, and friendship. And you know, actually reading the premise out loud, it like just immediately hit me. And maybe it's like different in tone, I don't know. But this really reminds me of, um, oh, what's it called? Crocodile Baron? You know what I'm talking about? Really? I know what you're talking about, but really? Crocodile Baron? Yeah, because it, it, it's that sort of same idea where it's like about these two like animal friends going around and like just trying out different food and stuff. Like I said, I'm sure it's like different in tone because this feels a little more like, oh, these guys like actually really develop like a close friendship that I don't know. I'm just assuming maybe it might be more. I don't know. And it's probably not as like dry or funny as like Crocodile Baron, but it, it just kind of reminded me of like the same like basic idea, you know? Yeah, actually, Crocodile Baron was about, like, 
culinary adventures like the him and his friend like going about and trying different dishes they like so yeah it's a it's a different vibe it gives me from the art but it's memories wise yeah i guess it is pretty similar just animal friends like going out trying food this one is like the vibes give me like just total uh you know this is going to be very much one that I know a lot of my uh, friends who are into the <laughs> furry community are going to be really into. Uh, it has a lot of, you know, if it's not like outright BL, it's still it's got a lot of like yep. romance, <laughs> uh, a lot of uh, queer energy. So I'm, you know, it, it really caught my eye. I know uh, a lot. It is, it is appealing to me. I mean, uh, well drawn characters uh but they're also like it's a it's a very appealing art style yeah, yeah i think this is gonna be a lot of fun and yeah i'm definitely interested in this one as well i love anthropomorphic animals and i love it when they're cute and i love it when they have cute relationships especially i don't know it's just like again like we were saying the, the, like the whole vibe of this series is very different it feels a lot more like pleasant and nice you know it just feels like a it feels like a nice time. Like I would, I would definitely love to like check this out and just, just let, just let his pleasantness just wash over me, <laughs> you know. Yeah, just uh, some sweet adventures with some like fluffy friends. Though one of them is, you know, pretty rough. So. <laughs> you know, fluffy, muscly friends. You want to? I think somebody watched uh, Zootopia a couple of times. Probably saw those buff tigers. I don't know. Maybe I'm just assuming. Um, but anyway, uh, last title I want to talk about on the list is Doll Kara, uh, which I believe is coming out from uh, J Novel Club. And uh, I'm assuming it's illustrated by Hanamura, based on an original idea by Kazuyoshi Ishii, with scripts done by Kei uh, Ryuzoji, in which Kazuyoshi Ishii, who is the founder of the martial arts organization K1, has been sent to prison for tax evasion. <laughs> Already off to an interesting start. Uh, after serving his sentence, he exits Shizuoka prison, only to be immediately killed by a speed truck and reincarnated in the body of Kei Ichinose, a comatose high school girl. 20 years since the genesis of K1, the MMA world's problem solver, uh, now inhabits the body of a schoolgirl and comes to grips with the karate he left behind in the story of youthful spirit and determination. So, you know, I'm so used to like reincarnation stories being tied into like isekai, but I feel like this is this is one of the few title, like few reincarnation titles I've seen where it's like, oh, you're just reincarnated as like a different person in the same world, basically. So that's that's kind of interesting on its own. But uh, yeah, this master of karate reincarnated as a high school girl. I don't know if this is still supposed to be like a karate manga afterwards. I guess I'm, I'm I can only assume so, but. I don't know, the, the, like the premise was interesting and crazy enough for me to be interested in it personally. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting, like, second chance of life type story. So, yeah, definitely curious to hear the buzz about this one when it comes out and, uh, or when more people start talking about it. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, but that's really about it for my list. And uh, I think overall, like I said at the top of the show, literally... 50 plus individual licenses that we just do not have the time to go over all of on the show that would easily add like another hour and a half to this episode but uh yeah i i think we still picked out like like the best of the best within like th this past month's collection of licenses i think I i'm pretty confident about our choices yeah i think we picked out uh, most of the highlights like the cream of the crop of things that you should be on the lookout for a lot of stuff that we're really excited about mm -hmm. and yeah it's some real good stuff from a lot of different publishers. For sure. Now we'll be moving into our industry news and kind of on the subject of, you know, publishers apps like we were mentioning before, Asuki has some pretty big news because they have gotten a lot 
of investment recently, a lot of capital from a Y Combinator, like giving them like five hundred K in investment. It's pretty cool. Like a Y Combinator is like a you know prestigious startup accelerator. Uh, they've invested in a lot of startups, like over three thousand. Some of these include Airbnb, Dropbox, and Reddit. So you know they really invest in like kind of cutting edge type uh, digital ventures. So it's great that Oski has gotten a lot of uh, new capital that they can use to help uh, improve and grow their service. And yeah, I mean they're already a really great app. Uh, they're already like a really great service to use, and uh, hopefully this just helps them continue to improve their operations and be able to acquire even more titles from other publishers so very very cool to see uh them get this investment and give this opportunity to grow in further now we're going to talk about you know sometimes uh, new startups aren't success stories and that's soul press soul press it's been going through a lot of uh, troubles in the recent years and no smaller thanks to the fact that its CAO has been MIA for the past year and because of that the social media manager for Soul Press had to announce recently that the company is kind of at a point where it can't provide refunds for 90% of their orders it's at uh, a total standstill until the CEO returns but they don't have a way to get in contact with the CEO so unfortunately, a lot of customers are SOL in terms of like orders that will not be fulfilled that they want refund for. And the company is basically in free fall. Like it is FTB forfeited. Like it was suspended by the franchise tax board for failure to meet tax requirements. And, you know, we talked about before that a lot of their titles were <laughs> delisted from Bookwalker. And the takedowns were taking place at request of the publishers. So, you know, I, I think their relationship with publishers has been pretty soured. So, yeah, the, the company is pretty much in free fall. Uh, it is pretty much just completely inoperable. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad situation for the people who are working for it. You know, uh, there's been a lot of stories of how a lot of the people who are doing, like, localization for uh, translation and other work for Soul Press uh, were completely gypped in terms of receiving payment on time. Or payment at all. So there's a lot of frustration, a lot of animosity towards the CEO in particular, for good reason. He just really has kind of left everyone out to dry. It was just, yeah, real shame. But yeah, hopefully, again, like a lot of the licenses that Soul Press had made will get rescued by other publishers. But of course, you know, the. Just the fact that they put out some books and there are people who bought those books and that, that they were digital books too might make it a little bit less appealing to some publishers. But hopefully, you know, there there's some titles that definitely should get rescued. You know, I mentioned Blandest before is one that I really enjoy. I would like to hopefully get rescued. But yeah, it is a shame. And in terms of other like unsavory kind of industry news, uh, you know, we mentioned the story before, but Kenya Suzuki was arrested recently for possession of child pornography. And uh, he's been getting his sentence from the Okasaki branch of Nagoya District Court. Uh, and he was sentenced to one year and two months in prison, but the sentence is suspended for three years. So if he remains in good behavior, he will not serve time in prison. And then Suzuki released a statement, which basically kind of cops up to like, and, and admits to the crime, basically, that he committed of like having possession of this material uh, in his own words for his own personal interests. So pretty damning. Um, so, yeah, basically, there's another case of like, you know, a sick crime being committed by a mangaka. They kind of have gotten off pretty much scot free. Like, again, as long as he's going to behave, he's not going to go to jail. And uh, it's uh, pretty disappointing, but this is kind of how we've come to expect the judicial system to be uh, about these cases so far. But, you know, 
we are probably not going to get any more of their work in English anymore uh, for good reason. And uh, we will see how their career goes in Japan after this. But, uh, you know, considering the precedent of, well, again, Wapsky is just such a big name that it's uh, frustrating, but we can see why he ended up being able to get a slap on the wrist. But because he's a smaller creator, I wonder if Suzuki will get that same uh, amount of forgiveness from the publishers he was working with, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with the situation. I do find it interesting that like, and this could be total PR speak, so I don't want to put like a whole lot into this, but he seems remorseful for what he did. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, at least there's that, is that he's remorseful for, uh, according to him, a lack of self-awareness, uh, shallow behavior. Um, and he, that, like, he was, he, he mentions that, oh, it was really drilled into me the importance of child progression uh, by the police officer in charge of uh, the juvenile cases thing. And so he was, so he, he says he's sorry. So, you know, if he does the work of repentance, of, like, trying to make amends, I guess, I don't know exactly what display of that uh, he can do to really uh, forgive the situation uh, for like the fan level um, but you know if he works on being better I mean that's really all you can ask and, but I guess like it just in terms of like well you still want to support the work of this author anymore it really it's gonna be a tough sell to, to convince people to trust this person again yeah see see that's the thing I don't I don't want it to come off like oh he's totally been forgiven for all of his crimes and everybody should forgive him that's not what I'm saying I'm just saying Compared to Watsky, I'm glad we got this much. Yeah, it's not like Watsky would just apologize for inconveniences readers for the series going on hiatus or whatever, but not apologizing for actually possessing the porn. Yeah. At least here he is like apologizing and saying, oh, what I did is wrong. So that, that is a step up from that previous case and from the case of Moxky as well who also never really apologized for what he did. So. Yeah, like I wouldn't be ready to forgive you know, someone who is in the child pornography, honestly, that's just me personally. But, you know, I, I I at least appreciate that, like, he at least seems remorseful at the very least. And like, it seems like he wants to make up for his actions. So like, again, it doesn't totally fix the issue and not everybody has to forgive him. But it's, it's still better than anything we've gotten from literally any other pedophile manga artist we talked about on the show. So, you know, that that kind of makes me sad, honestly. Yeah. But that is the situation as it stands regarding this. And that really gets it for like kind of industry things. So now we're going to head into kind of our miscellaneous, which is basically like anime and game news. And we're going to start off with like our one really game news. And that's that there's going to be a new edition of JoJo's Adventure All-Star Battle this fall. It's going to come on a lot of different platforms, a lot of modern platforms, including PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Switch, PC, all sorts of places. And in addition to just being a refurbished version of the game, you know, with updated models to kind of reflect, especially for like parts four, five, six, like, models are much closer to the anime designs, and the actors are now the anime actors, as opposed to the original game. So, like, those, that's a little bit updated. But also, the roster of the game is going to be expanded from 41 to 50. And so, that's pretty cool. Like, they're going to be adding more characters. You know, Trish, from leaks, you know that Trish is one. Uh, we know that one of the, um, there's Sparta, the, the group in Golden Wind, that was hunting after Trish has been added, uh, the guy with the ice powers. So yeah, like we know that they are adding some new characters, which is pretty cool. 
And yeah, like uh, it's going to be interesting because the original game had because it seems like they're going to be adding 10 new characters. But of course, like the, the roster is going from 41 to 50. So presumably a character is being taken out. And based on like screenshots, based on things, it seems like Bao might not be in the new edition oh, of the man. game, which would be a shame because he was really fun to play as. But, you know, it's still cool that we're going to be getting a lot of new characters in this anyway. So yeah, it's really cool. I like I like uh, playing All Star Battle a lot. It's cool that they're gonna make a new version of it with an expanded roster. And yeah, I think it's gonna be fun to play. With. The White Album guy got you. That's the other character that we know it's gonna be in the game. So yeah, but yeah, and there's not the only JoJo's news to talk about because we do have an update about Stone Ocean. We've been waiting for the second part of it for a while, but it has been announced that the second part is coming this year, but it's going to be a bit of wait still. It will come this fall, episodes 13 to 24, the next 12, the next core of it. So yeah, we're going to be waiting a while for more Stone Ocean. It seems that also the Japanese broadcast is also going to be waiting until later in the year to broadcast those episodes, probably after Netflix puts them up on their service, probably as part of the deal with this whole contract of like, when things can air on TV, uh, in regards to, uh, like, what it also needs to come on Netflix. But yeah, I mean, I think as long as they are given the time to, like, be able to work on the show, because David Production is working on a lot. You know, they are working on the New Year's Day outside that's all supposed to come out sometime this year. So they're, they're stretching themselves in between different projects. Those aren't even the only two, JoJo's and UI. So I personally, I know a lot of people are disappointed that we have to wait a little longer for more of Stone Ocean. But, you know, especially because I feel like the first core of it as much as i love stone ocean and like i was enjoyed the adaptation you know it was a lot rougher looking than uh parts five and four like it had a it's a lot of you know stiffer animation there are a lot of like corrections they have to make for it that they've already seen being made from the netflix release to the tv uh broadcast in japan release in terms of things that they tweaked in terms of art and stuff so if they can just get some more time to just really be able to polish it up to the level that they really want to like get the time they have to like really just do it right without having to worry about like rushing through it i think that'll be good so yeah i just want to so I should have the best attitude possible, and I am perfectly comfortable waiting for it uh, in order for it to receive that. But yeah, that's something to look forward to in Netflix. But for something that you can look forward to even sooner on High Dive, that'll be the second season of Made in Abyss. Finally, after like five years from the first season, that's coming out this July the golden city of the scorching suns so very much looking forward to it i've been enjoying like kind of re-watching the anime off tanami uh following that i'll probably finally get around to that third movie so very much excited for the second season and continuing the story and yeah like it's gonna be real cool and speaking of like things that have been airing on Tanami or related to Tanami, there's Tanami as part of its 25th anniversary announced some really cool new projects coming to the block uh, later this year and next year. Coming later this year is a new original series called Housing Complex C from Production IG, which centers on a girl who lives in like a small, low-cost housing complex in a seaside town where trouble like follows her where she goes and horrific accidents uh, begin to occur. And so is there like an evil haunting her housing complex in the town? That's kind of an interesting premise to have like kind of a horror city set in like this urban setting. That's really cool. But I think the big news is that they're making more FLCL seasons. They're making two more new seasons. 
FLCL grunge and FLCL shoegaze. And I appreciate the title for shoegaze because shoegaze is a form of alternative music. And of course, Yudaka Uemura, the director of FLCL Alternative, is also directing shoegaze. So that's a nice, like, thematic link uh, between the two different seasons. So yeah, I'm very much interested in seeing how these turn out. Grunge actually is not being done by IG. Interestingly, it's going to be a CG work. It's going to be done by Montbach Pictures. I really like the celebrated CD style they have uh, in the real short teaser trailer of Haruko like just swinging her guitar so I, I like that a lot so very much looking forward to these new two seasons and new original series and housing obviously so yeah cool new stuff coming to Tanami later this year and next year and as far as other Tanami originals go which you might want to see. Oh, I want to see more story about this, more of a sequel to it, just like these FLCL seasons. Well, if you were a fan like Bay on Black Lotus like I was, well, you can look forward to a new comic book sequel for Black Lotus from Titan Comics. This is coming out on June 1st, written by Nancy Collins, who's done a run on Swamp Thing. It's going to be illustrated by Annie Ballam, who did the Hawkeye Kate Bishop series. And yeah, it's going to basically be a sequel to this show where it explores like L and what she does after the events of the original first season, like where she goes, what new life she's gonna live for herself. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing more of the story. And I'm certainly curious that they're choosing to continue the story of Black Lotus in comic book form rather than making a new season, another season of it. And I have to wonder if that's because, you know, the Black Lotus series was a co-production between Adult Swim and Crunchyroll, and Crunchyroll is not part of the Warner family anymore. So maybe it's just, you know, more difficult to continue making that. You know, it's an interesting note that the new FLCL seasons, I believe, are not Crunchyroll Copros. So also very curious. But uh, that actually does bring us to Crunchyroll news because Crunchyroll had an update that got a lot of people pretty upset and rightfully so because they announced that starting with the Spring 22 season, they are going to halt ad-supported simulcast streaming. New simulcast shows from the Spring Train True season onward will not have older episodes available a week later for free viewing, for ad-supported free viewing after their premiere. As has been the case, the format, up until now. Like, backlog titles on Crunchyroll, like titles that have already, you know, been available to watch free on Crunchyroll, will still continue to be able to be offered free with ads, so you won't need a subscription to watch those. But for new titles, for new anime from Spring Train True onward, you won't be able to watch the shows a week later with ads. You will need the premium membership, which is a real shame. There will only be a few shows that will have like three episodes that will be available for ad-supported viewing for a limited time. Those being Spy Family, Couple of Cuckoos, Donald the Witch, Tom Without the Game, Scale, The Night in Another World, Chicken Mirrors, Donald Cutie, Greatest Human Warlord is Reborn as a Typical Nobody, and Trapped in the Dating Sim, The World with Tommy Games and Stuff for Moms. Like only those eight shows will be available for, you know, preview. Like the first three episodes will be available to watch with ads without the subscription, but to watch the rest of them and to watch all the other new simuls on Crunchyroll this season in the future you'll going to need a premium subscription which is a shame because a lot of people you know were just watching Crunchyroll ad free without the subscription they just they waited the week to watch simuls uh, a week later 
it was uh, accessible just to have a lot of anime available free for people to watch uh, with ads without needing a subscription. Now, I mean, you know, I switched to premium myself way back when because I find the ad support service like incredibly tedious uh, and buggy, but people did rely on it. You know, a lot of people really did uh, need it, especially like people who can't like afford the premium subscription and especially a lot of teens who can't like get it on their own. So it's a, a really short-sighted move, you know, a very kind of upsetting move and really just show, show the danger of, oh man, now that Crunchyroll has basically become the dominant player in the simulcast market, they really are not making things better for the consumer. Uh, they're actually making it a lot uh, worse, especially for viewers who relied on the ad-supported free service that they had been offering. So yeah, very unfortunate. But alas, I mean, this was kind of the danger that we kind of had come to expect uh, when the merger had happened. That actually, you know, this there'd be more like kind of uh, price gouging of the consumer in one way or another. And hopefully it just doesn't get worse than this choice. But, you know, if you still are watching things on Crunchyroll, you have your premium membership and whatnot. There's there's things to look forward to on there that we're excited for. They've got that new Dr. Stone reuse me special uh, that'll come out in July. You know, that's going to be exciting. Of course, it's going to be focused on Ryuzui, so, you know, I'll probably adapt us to his introduction in the show. And that'll be cool. And, of course, later in October, we'll get Pop Team Epic Season 2. I've been looking forward to that. I really love the first season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Then we are going to get uh, pretty excitingly I mean we don't know if this will go to Crunchyroll necessarily but this is a new anime adaptation I'm excited for and that's like Inuasano's Dead Dead Demons Dead of Destruction it was announced that the series is getting animated recently the manga recently ended so yeah it's really cool it's gonna be like the first anime adaptation of a Asano work which is pretty exciting pretty wild considering how many works of his are really popular uh, but you know it probably is like kind of the most <laughs> friendly for adaptations it's like the one of the least depressing of his series so you know I'm excited for it I really enjoy the series and I've been meaning to catch up on the manga now that it's ending and I'm really excited for the anime when it comes out I think it's going to be a ton of fun but yeah that's something to look forward to and now again stuff we know are coming to Crunchyroll there's going to be a new Ruby anime a Ruby like actually a full Fred Ruby anime made by like Japanese creators that's pretty exciting by Shaft no less yeah, by Shaft. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, Shaft uh, is going to be the studio making it. It's going to be directed by Toshimasa Suzuki. He directed, like, Lagrange, Flower Renee. The chief director is going to be Kenjiro Okada, who worked on March Comes in Like a Lion. Urobochi is going to conceptualize anime. The Urobochi itself, you know... <laughs> Responsible for Madoka and Fate Zero and Psychopaths. And uh, controversially, To Ubukata is going to be doing the scripts. You know, they worked on Mardark's Ramble, Ghost and Shell Arise, and Psychopaths 2. And, you know, I like some of their work. Like, Psychopaths 2 was a train wreck, but like, Ghost and Shell Arise, I was, I enjoy. But Ubukata, of course, you know, is a controversial figure, rightfully so, because there was news. A while back, this is something that uh, Blake's voice actress, Erin Zick, has voiced discomfort over. Uh, Ubukata, like a few years ago, was uh, arrested for charges of domestic violence against his then wife. Uh, it was said that he had committed assault on her, he hit her on the jaw. And so, I mean, Ubukata, like, responded to Zach's comments on Twitter and said, like, you know, that it, like, there's more to the situation that he doesn't want to talk about because, like, uh, it doesn't want talk about in regards to like his ex-wife wanted to talk about but i feel like he doesn't take enough responsibility for what he did like he no matter like if even if there's more situation he did like physically assault his wife 
you know? So that's pretty scummy. Like, like he just like says, oh, I'm innocent. What the police did to me was unforgivable, but I can't tell you the details. Uh, but I still have a good relationship with my wife and children. You know, I just didn't have a choice. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know the full situation, I guess. But uh, the comment he wrote still rubs me wrong. So I think, you know, very fairly, like if you are not uh, super on board, like Ubukata being a part of this, like I think, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. But regardless, like I am interested in this new Ruby series because, you know, there are a lot of other cool creators on it. Also, I'm just not a fan of Ruby. Uh, and I think it's pretty cool that it's getting like an actual like anime adaptation from WD Studios and basically going to be like a reimagining of the beginning of Ruby with more of a focus on Weiss. I mean, based on the title and based on some choices made in the trailer in terms of like, you know, focusing on her. So I think that's pretty interesting and I want to see like what direction you're going for it. Because a lot of the trailer is like reanimating like beginning like stuff from the first season of Ruby, like the introduction of the characters and working together, the first like kind of training exercise and stuff. So I wonder like what direction the show is going to go, like why it's called Ice Cream Dumb, like what the direction is going to go in that like you know he's gonna you know really focus on weiss and explore a character more so yeah i i'm curious about it i'm very interested in it so i'm definitely keen to see how it turns out and i also think like the, the outfits the winter outfits of all the characters look quite cute too so that's a nice plus as well but yeah, very interesting new series for Ruby fans to enjoy. You know, Ruby has had like official manga adaptations for a long time, and now finally it's getting official anime adaptation. And wow, it's pretty crazy how far it's come over like nearly 10 years now. But in terms of other things coming to Crunchyroll, here's a backlog title being added to Crunchyroll. Uh, yeah, I can mention it real quick that uh, Crunchyroll added a, a whole lot of Prince of Tennis. Uh, we had previously talked about on a past episode how at first a bunch of Prince of Tennis was going to be coming to Funimation. And I'm not sure if it's actually still been added up on there, but I know for sure that basically Crunchyroll has basically added like the original series, Sans the first, what is it, first 50 episodes that I think? 50 episodes. Those are still available on Hulu the, with the Wiz Media dub. Okay. So there's still some right things there, it seems. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see when they'll be able to get those episodes. But, yeah, I mean, it's really cool that, like, 15 years after the last dubbed episode of Prince of Tennis was basically released by Viz, we got, like, new dubbed episodes of the original Prince of Tennis. Like, 30 dropping all at once with episodes 50 to 80. And that's pretty exciting. Like, I know Vlord like, jumped immediately when this was uh, announced and he, like, has been watching through all Prince of Tennis. He finished watching the Viz dub and now he's moving on to the funny dub and uh you know his watch long journey is making me like oh man i gotta want to get back into re-watching prince of this walk check out this funny dub of the series and continue on with the original series that way and yeah it's really cool i mean they really are releasing a bunch of prince of tennis all at once like not just like continuing with dubbing the original series but like they're doing prince of tennis 2 and the ovas of the show they're really going all in on the prince of tennis franchise and giving it up it's pretty interesting it's pretty interesting timing like why now of all times but still it's cool that the franchise is being more made and widely available well, i'm pretty sure it's because there is a new prince of tennis anime coming soon and i'm I have a feeling... I mean, sure, but, like, there have been new Prince of Tennis anime consistently being made over the past 15 years. Okay, but anyway. they're probably going to p- actually pick up this one, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, but, like, to go through the effort of redubbing hundreds of episodes of the franchise for one new anime annotation is still, like, an interesting effort that is being made. So, I like, there's, a, there's more to it than just, I think, a new anime is coming out. 
but I think still, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool nonetheless that they're going all in on Prince of Tennis as a franchise. Well, hey, maybe it also has something to do with the fact that uh, we are getting that 3D CG film. We did talk about how uh, the new like 3D CG film is coming out over here in the U.S., and I guess it's going to be getting a screening on May 12th, uh, and it looks like it's going to be screening at Anime Expo, I guess. No, what's happening is that Anime Expo is doing this thing called the Anime Expo uh, Cinema Nights event series, where it basically is going. It basically is going to be like partnering as a distributor for the film in theaters. So it's going to be partnering with Eleven Arts basically to release this like kind of nationally in theaters, starting on May twelfth. Mm, okay, because we also mentioned that like there are two versions of this film, and I guess they're going to be uh, screening the decide version of the film, which is. In- interesting yeah because we were also talking about like i wonder if they're gonna like try to screen both versions of the film eventually i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing if we'll get like a, like an actual wider release for this film outside of like any like big events or anything yeah i mean again i think the plan with this is that it's like a national release on may 12th i mean because anime expo is in july so, you know, this the idea of this is like Anime Expo is partnering. It's going to be like a distributor as well, a partner with Eleven Arts releasing this in theaters. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. They're only going to do one version to start with. I wonder if they are going to uh, screen the other version in theaters as well, or they'll just save that for the home video. But nonetheless, like, I am curious and keen to check this out. Theater listings, uh, you know, you can find the show page right on whatever uh, theater chain you go to. Like for AMC, for example, they have the listings for the film up already, but like the showtimes haven't been added yet. Uh, so those are probably going to be added like later, closer to when the date is, so probably later in this month. And so, yeah, I'm very keen to check it out. Hopefully it will be playing in a theater uh, near my area because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> with how crazy I've heard this film is, I definitely want to see it in theaters. Man, you know... If it's at my local AMC, again, half a mile away from my place, I might go see it and we might have to talk about it on the show, try to find a space to do that, maybe on the Patreon or something. You know, what is your relationship with Prince of Tennis? How much did you check it out back Oh, man, I I don't think I've read any more than like three volumes and that was all the way back in like 2006, 2007. Interesting. Did you ever watch the anime then when it was on Jetstream? Uh, I think I might have checked out an episode back in the day, but I definitely didn't like keep up with it. I don't know. It just really wasn't the kind of thing that like appealed to me back then. But uh, obviously since then, I've heard like how batshit insane Prince of Tennis is. Yeah. So like that does make me want to like explore it at some point. And again, I, it's another series I would love to like really read through all of and talk about on the show because I think it's probably worth the discussion at some point. But for sure. Yeah. Going into this film, knowing that I will probably probably be lost and i i think i think i'll have a better experience for it or maybe i would have the maybe i would have a better experience if i like if i had actually like seen most of the franchise i don't know i, I think i'll still have fun either way so I'm, I'm totally up for seeing it regardless honestly yeah i mean it's just gonna go on on like ridiculousness based on the premise so even if there's gonna be a lot of focus on like certain characters you may not know i still think it's gonna it's just you're gonna be easy to appreciate just how absurd it takes the idea of they play tennis, but they also are now in this film traveling through time. Uh, it's so weird. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, if if we wanted to record about it and put it up somewhere, I would not be opposed to it. I think that sounds pretty fun. 
And that's not the only film to look forward to this summer that's going to be screened because, you know, G-Kids has made some really cool license announcements as well with Fortune Favors Lady Minako coming out in theaters on June 3rd. And yeah, like this is a film from Studio 4C that did Children of Sea, a lot of films I really like. So very much excited to check this out. From the trailer, it looks really charming, great animation. So very excited to see this come out in early summer. And that's not the only film to look forward to theatrically from G-Kids because they have added to their catalog of Hayao Miyazaki works by licensing Panda Go Panda. Previously, this was released by Genion Discotech, but I guess now... G-Kids has taken up the license for it. And not only are they going to release uh, both Panda Go Panda films in Japanese and with an English dub with newly restored colors, uh, it's going to come out not just on home video, but in theaters later this year. It is super exciting. Panda Go Panda in theaters and full, newly restored. Yeah, one of like Miyazaki and Takahata's like earliest, like most formative hits. Very exciting. Definitely excited to revisit it in theaters when it gets screened. And uh, it's terms of like other things that have not, you know, been announced for North American theatrical distribution yet, but still stuff we can expect to look forward to later. The next Sword Art Online Progressive film is opening in Japan this fall. It's going to be called Shares Over Dark Dusk. And I do think that, you know, based on the turnaround uh, from the first Progressive film, we'll get it pretty soon after this Japanese release here in North America. Because the original Progressive film came out in October, and then it came out in North America in December. So if there's a similar timeline in terms of the fall release for this film, I could definitely see like a early winter release for us here in America. And, you know, I really enjoy the progressive film, honestly. Thinking back on it and looking through my rankings of favorite films from last year, like actually it ranks close to the top 10, if not in the top 10. It was actually a really enjoyable film. I enjoyed it both times I went to see it. I like, I've not been a big fan of Sword Art Online as franchise, but when you focus the story on Asuna and you kind of give more softness to the relationship between her and Kirito, honestly, I come out liking the characters and liking the story a lot more. So really enjoyed it and really looking forward to seeing the continuation of it. That's not the only, like, new film project we can look forward to later this year. I mean, or later in the future, rather. We don't know necessarily the status of this project that was just recently kind of announced. But basically, uh, you know, Hollywood has been seeing the big success of these anime movies at the box office. And they want to get in on it, of course, with their own adaptations themselves. And so they are looking into making a live-action Voltron project. Now, admittedly, we don't know if this is a film project yet. We don't know if there's going to be TV project. We do know that Ross and Marshall Tuber is co-writing the script with Ellen Shaman and Tuber is aiming to direct. It's going to be produced by the producers of Beauty and Beast 2017, Todd Lieberman and David Hoberman, and World Events producer Bob Coppolar, who did the Legendary Defender series for Netflix, produced that. And yeah, I mean, it's being shopped around a lot of different studios, so it doesn't have a set studio yet, whether it's going to be Warner Brothers, Universal, and Amazon. Uh, other studios, too, are also interested in the franchise, interested in producing and creating this. So yeah, we'll see uh, what the future of this live-action Voltron will be, whether it'll be a theatrical project or a TV project. Definitely keen to check it out. But I would not be surprised if they go the theatrical route because, as mentioned before, anime doing very successful in the U.S. box office. And that brings us to Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which, of course, had a really strong debut in North America and is doing quite well. In its opening weekend, it earned $17.7 million. That easily put it at the fourth highest opening for an anime film in the U.S. And it is currently on its way. At this time of recording, it will have cleared an 
in its most recent weekend about 30 mil. If it has not surpassed globally at the time of this recording, it will have surpassed it by the time you are listening and it'll be closer to around $32 million. And I can totally see it going around $35 million by the end of its theatrical run with just the pace it has right now. So yeah, I mean, it'll probably come in overall number four in terms of like box office success for anime films in North America. It's not going to be able to touch uh, Pokemon 2000 or Demon Slayer, but comfortably it'll come in at number four, uh, edging out Broly. So yeah, I mean, it's a big hit. Not a surprise. Not quite the same over you can train level hit, but it's still a very, very big hit. Got a lot of attention. Still surprised a lot of box office analysts who were underestimating it. And I think it's, again, it's just a promising sign for the success of these franchise films, especially franchise films like that are built around really compelling stories that, you know, the audiences want to see, fans want to see in the North American box office. So it's a very encouraging sign and part of the trend in that. And it'll be interesting to see what other films will also continue this momentum. I'm definitely eyeing Dragon Ball Super Superhero and what it will do in numbers when it comes out later this summer in the U.S. or whenever it comes out later in the U.S. We don't really know anymore <laughs> with the Toei hack when it actually will come out. But hopefully it'll still come out in the summer in Japan the U.S. And again, also to touch upon success in Japan, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero is like firmly in the top 20 highest grossing films of Japan. It is firmly one of the top 10 highest grossing Japanese films in the Japanese box office and one of the top 10 highest grossing anime films on Japanese box office. So in terms of like overall animated films, it's like just edged up Frozen 2 at number 11 because Frozen and Frozen 2 were very popular in Japan. But yeah, no Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, very successful film in its home country of Japan and abroad. And that's really cool. And it's not the only thing being celebrated, of course, because Megumi Yagata, voice actor of Okotsu in the film, and so many other iconic characters, has also been recently kind of awarded with a special award, the Best Theater Actress Award, at the 16th Analyst City Awards. Though, in giving her acceptance speech, she made a really good point of, like, the voice acting world, you know, maybe it should become more gender-free. Maybe that the time has passed for voice acting to be separated by gender, because she feels that, like, uh, you know, she never really taught herself as an actress per se like most of her roles like 70% of her roles have been boy boys and she feels like you know these days you live in what's called a gender free society and the voice actor world there are a lot of people who've come out as LGBTQ plus and there are a lot of people who really don't think of themselves as women that much as they live their daily lives like um, a guy has not come out as non-binary officially but you know she's revealed here a lot of things that a philosophy that I think resonated with a lot of people that you know yeah maybe voice acting awards maybe just awards in general should be more like gender equitable not just uh, segregated in terms of like this binary of male awards and female awards which I think a lot of people really uh, appreciated especially as like you know that does kind of put non-binary people people who don't fall into the binary kind of a tough spot you know as they navigate the world of acting and the entertainment world uh, there really isn't like a, a category for them that like really cleanly fall into comfortably you know so yeah I really agree with a goddess philosophy here so i really appreciate just like she accepts the award but she also makes this really good point that hey maybe the way we think about doing these awards uh, should change that's pretty cool and uh yeah she also was happy that ava 3.0 plus one quarter won the synergy award for awards that showed the best talent of voice actors as a whole because you know it's a very rigorous environment the voice acting industry and yeah like a lot of people should earn accolades for their work especially on that film like everyone who was a part of that film did such a great job so yeah very cool comments from a real boss of the industry like just one of the coolest actors uh in the game 
And yeah, that's not the only awards thing to talk about. We're going to end off the news coverage of the show by mentioning like a cool new kind of industry award being done by Book Live, and that's the Manga Character Industry Awards. They hold their first annual like contest uh, for this like last year. And they announced the results recently. And basically the winners, um, they basically polled their fans of like, um, through the Book Life website of like, hey, what were your favorite like characters in manga? Like lead characters and supporting characters. And they also had a jury award for a character that like their jury of uh, panelists like got needed to be acknowledged. And so there were some cool results. So for best lead male actor, Toshona Kuno from Yumi Tamura's Do Not Say Mystery got the accolade. And this is a title I have not read, but I, you know, I am real familiar where Yumi Tamura's works and it makes me want to see this title get localized if it's getting like super buzz over in Japan and uh, yeah we really need more than Basara over here we should have been gotten seven seasons a long time ago and we should get this other work of theirs as well but for best female lead character uh, Yona uh, from Yona the Dawn got it which I think very very well earned best supporting male character was Manjiro Sano from Tokyo Revengers so yeah I mean Mikey yeah, he's a very popular character, and I could totally see why you'd get that. And then uh, for best supporting female character, Shinobu from Chiafuru. And I mean, with Chiafuru, you know, being in the full swing of the Chiaya versus Shinobu match, like, I totally can imagine some amazing character moments happened with her last year. And the special jury award went to Guts for Berserk. And of course, Berserk, you know, when he was passing last year, the jury said that they wanted to choose Guts for the special award. You know, to cheer the character on his journey, uh, especially after Mirror's passing, which I think is a sweet sentiment. So yeah, just a fun little fan poll result, little contest. It'll be interesting to see like how the follow-ups for this go and what other characters uh, tend to get rewarded in subsequent iterations of this contest. So very fun little thing. But that does it for our news coverage for this episode. And that brings us into our community shoutouts. And Colton, this time you actually had some shoutouts you wanted to mention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just have a few quick ones I can get out there. Um, first off, I really want to give a big shout out to Super Eyepatch Wolf because uh, he's been doing some great stuff lately. Something I watched actually the day it came out yesterday at the time of this recording was his new Berserk video. Uh, basically a sequel to his like original Berserk video, but he made this one specifically after the passing of uh, Kentaro Miura. He He's been working on this video for God knows how long. I know he's been putting a lot of work into it. And, um, you know, it, it's an almost two hour video. He kind of spends a lot of time talking about the Golden Age arc as far as like, you know, how much story he wants to talk about. And, you know, I, I think he talks about enough of the story without like giving too much away of like, you know, the, the Golden Age arc, you can argue that like you kind of already know a lot of this stuff is going to happen because it takes place in the past, which is the argument he made. And I, and, I, and I agree. And also it's like the most infamous part of Berserk. Like, if you even if you're not read Berserk, you've heard rumblings of the eclipse and what happens. Yeah, you it, know so. what the eclipse is, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I especially enjoy, like, his last 20 minutes of the video where, you know, he kind of, like, had to stop the video and was like, hey, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. Like, I've wrote this part, like, multiple times. Like, nothing I say feels right. Like, he, you could tell he really, really wanted to give this video, like, a lot of care and love and attention because you could tell that he really cares about Berserk and especially cares about Kentaro Miura. You know, it was just, it was just a really interesting video. Video, and honestly, I came away from it like really feeling like a love and appreciation for Berserk that uh, I don't think I've really felt in a while. Honestly, like, you know, I've talked about this before, but like, you know, when Miura passed away last year, that was one of those things where it's like, oh, like you like I didn't know what I had until it was gone. Like, 
we're possibly never going to get any more Berserk again. And, you know, the, the, the video really made me kind of come to terms with that. Like, it was actually, like, pretty emotional. Like, if you care about Berserk, you should watch Super High Patch Wolf's newest video. It's so good. I... I think I'm actually going to try to start collecting those uh, those deluxe hardcover editions as soon as I have the money. Oh, God, they're like 40 bucks a pop, but I'm, I'm still going to buy them. I really need to own Berserk so bad. <laughs> Wonderful. But yeah, so that was a great video. We'll definitely link that in the show notes along with everything else we talk about. And, uh, you know, speaking of Super Eyepatch Wolf, um, I think it was during one of his, like, um, during one of his videos where he, like, talked about, like, his favorite things from, like, you know, the past, like, season or whatever. And uh, he kind of offhandedly mentioned that he was doing a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure podcast with with a few people from Giant Bomb, actually. So it's like kind of a pseudo sequel to like All Systems Goku. Uh, this podcast being called Jeff Jeff's Bizarre Adventure, where I, I, I think only like one or two of his friends on there are like completely new to JoJo. I think uh, the other person he has on is kind of familiar with JoJo, but hasn't like watched all of it. But a, a lot of them are very new to JoJo. So like uh, Super Eye Patch Wolf basically took it upon himself to like get a bunch of his giant bomb friends together to like have them go through JoJo's Bizarre Adventure mostly for the first time. And uh, I think at the time of this recording, the latest episode they released, uh, they're about three episodes into Battle Tendency. Um, I think they have a few recorded in the tank and they just they've just been releasing them like every other Wednesday or whatever um so yeah I've, I've been really enjoying the show and then it's just really like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is definitely one of those series where anytime somebody darts like a new journey and they like you know they're doing a podcast on it or like recording their journey in whatever way shape or form like I, I have to like check it out like it's it's really fun to hear people's like first reactions to you know getting into Jojo's Bizarre Adventure it's always fun it's it's been a fun podcast so far it's been a highlight of every other Wednesday so far. And uh, yeah, I I really urge people to go check it out if they're looking for some more uh, JoJo content. It's It's been very fun. And then I, I think the last podcast I'll mention real quick is, uh, so we, we've mentioned the big three My Hero Academia podcast before, uh, hosted by Nate and a few of his other friends. Great My Hero Academia podcast. I've, I've already said that uh, previously on another episode, but uh, I guess apparently what they're doing is because I guess they were going to do like a big Attack on Titan watch through podcast thing. Um, but I think uh, one of the hosts is on like maternity leave at the moment that she literally just got done, uh, you know, having a baby and is raising it at the moment. So they decided to like put those plans on hold for now until they can like finalize something. And I guess for now, they're going to do like a little side podcast called The Big Three Shonen Tell, which uh, they're basically going to have an episode, I think like every week or every other week covering like just different anime they want to talk about. The first episode of this podcast, they had a guest on to talk about uh, just they, they were going to talk about, I guess, the Duelist Kingdom arc of Yu-Gi-Oh, but it basically just ended up being like a general Yu-Gi-Oh discussion, which I was totally fine with because it was it was a really fun discussion. And I, I really enjoyed listening to it as uh, someone who is a big fan of Yu-Gi-Oh. I am definitely going to be there for any Yu-Gi-Oh discussion I can find. And I think on their next episode, they're going to be talking about all of uh, Evangelion, which uh you know, I haven't watched Evangelion in a while, but I still might listen because I think it'll be another good discussion. I, I generally really like the stuff that Nate does. You know, the big three My Hero Academia podcast is possibly my favorite My Hero Academia podcast in terms of like how deep they really go oh, into. Oh, man. <laughs> we have the train Kendra there. I, man. I like Kendra's My Hero Academia podcast too, and I enjoy being on 
but it, Nate also goes into this level of analysis that I wish I could go into in most things. Like, he really puts a lot of work in, like, really digging into the themes of My Hero Academia and, like, what makes it work and everything. It's just, like, you could tell he puts a lot of work into that show in particular, and a lot of his stuff, I should say. But... Yeah, it's just, it's a good time, and I really like his stuff, and, you know, if you want to hear him just talk about just different anime in general, you should go listen to Shonen Tell. It's, uh, it's a fun time so far. Yeah, I mean, some of that stuff, definitely I am keen to check out myself, particularly Patch World's Reserve video. I just haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but definitely sounds like a great tribute. I know he was working super hard on it, but yeah, I mean, I have got my own shout outs to share as well this time and starting off our good friends at Kanzenshu have kind of revamped their website to celebrate the 10th anniversary of being Kanzenshu and addition that they've relaunched their Patreon they've given get another go with like you know new tier options basically they have a $1 support tier and a $5 tier for you know discord access and yeah it's really cool obviously we really support the work Kanzenshu does and being documentations and uh historians of Dragon Ball media and the franchise and this is just a great opportunity a way to you know help support them doing what they do and being able to be able to purchase an archive material and keep the site going and keep it just up as a great resource for all sorts of Dragon Ball news and information and part of that includes and some really cool features that they have added new additions to their rumor guide which I really enjoy reading they basically had one about answering the rumor of like, oh, Funimation didn't start dubbing DBZ until 1999, which they go into like, no, Funimation was always the primary licensor, and they were always the ones in charge of dubbing the series, even if their voice cast was not in-house until the third season of DBZ on TV. And they also had a great one about, oh, the story in the Budokai games was influenced by the fact that the English dub was not farther ahead than the, the Cell Saga or the Moo Saga when the, the first game or the second game was released and they went and be like, no, in fact, these games were not even developed with the international market in mind. It was like a total aftermarket. It was a total surprise. In fact, the actual development of the games is super interesting because like Bandai originally started making the games because the Pacific North Star game was super popular and then they were like, oh, we should make another nostalgia tie-in game and they started making the Dragon Ball game without like even getting Shueisha to remission so they had like a big meeting with Torashima and other editors at one point where he just like completely rejected all the work they had been doing up to that point and had the start and crowd so it was like it's super interesting chronicle and account of like the production history of the Budokai games and like it's a weird start but that's a fantastic feature and they also had a great feature on like how the actual title of DVC movie one which is often uh in fan culture referred to as, you know, Return My Gohan. That's not actually the title of the movie. The, the title is just Dragon Ball Z, the movie. is just. But, like, the Return My Gohan subtitle comes from the fact that, like, a VHS release of it had, like, that kind of tagline in the same place that future VHS releases of the movies would have, like, the, the subtitle of those movies in that same spot. And so, at, at one point, one of the Daisenshus, when they were chronicling the movies, they included that as the title of the movie but it was never the title of the movie it was always just called dragon ball z not return my go on so it's very very interesting to see that oh man this misinformation like spread in an interesting way like through official sources just because of like an interesting like misinterpretation of like what 
tagline text at the back of a VHS box argument or was trying to indicate. So that was very fun. But yeah, I mean, those are just great examples of the kind of awesome features that Concentra continues to publish and produce. So definitely if you really support the work they do in terms of like documenting Dragon Ball history and analyzing the series, absolutely support them on Patreon. I'm just going to say like straight up, if you care about Dragon Ball, you should support Concentry if you can. Like, they put out so much great work, and I, I think most people would consider them, like, the most authoritative voice on Dragon Ball in the U.S. Like, they put in the work, and they really do deserve uh, your guys' support. Absolutely. Next, as mentioned before, uh, when we were talking about the Ranking Kings news, Katarina Leona Lucas made a great thread comparing the Ranking of Kings released from Book Live with the scanlation and finding that there's a lot of crossover. And a lot of the Book Live translation seems to have been plagiarized whole cloth from the scanlation, a whopping uh, two thirds of dialogue bubbles in the first volume. It is quite astonishing, like, just how much it copies from the scanlation and how much it also, like, messes up in copying it from the scanlation. So it is a really eye-opening tread, an eye-opening comparison. So definitely check that out. She has made some really great graphs and charts and Excel sheet snapshots to, to compare the different translations and how much the book live translation took from it and how it really messed up. So very, very good thread comparing the two. Now, also, as mentioned, uh, Soul Press uh, has been a bunch of free-for-all as a company, and Kim Morrissey wrote a great article on ANN about, like, how Soul Press got to the state it was in, going and exploring, like, its founding uh, from its original founder, Michael Valdez, how the company originally got started, how originally they reached out to freelancers to help work on them, all the different controversies in terms of missed payments and the poor pay they offered, and then also kind of an update on like, well, what can we expect for them in the future, and what are the chances for rescue licensing for their titles? So a very good feature that kind of really gets a good rundown of the Soul Press situation and what's happening with them as a company, and like where we're at in terms of like the future of the titles they had licensed, and the future of like, you know, whether the people who work for them are going to get you know, paid or not, or, or the people who bought stuff from them can get refunds or not. Now, in terms of like other controversial news about industry stuff, you know, there's been a big hubbub, big conversations happening about the need to improve uh, conditions in the dubbing industry, to battle for union anime dubs, to battle for better wages and payment for dubbing work. And Evan Minter wrote a great article on ANN, basically interviewing a bunch of different actors on their thoughts on the situation, uh, the challenges of like being able to get union work, the ways in which companies are kind of really screwing over their actors. They're making like big bank, you know, this big conversation point about how Jujutsu Kaisen is a big box of hit, but the actual actors are probably paid only like $600 max for their work on the film, which is outrageous. And yeah, so Evan's piece really goes into good detail of like why the situation is the way it is in terms of anime dubbing work, why rates are low, what is keeping them low, how companies are like really uh, trying to use the alternative advantage to just be able to pay their actors less than their work and like the, the struggle to move the union dubbing and what it would take to be able to get that and to be able to advocate and make sure people can get you know paid more for their work so it's a very good piece very comprehensive piece outlining the situation as it stands and all the different factors that goes into it all the, the history behind it all the 
laws a part of it so yeah very very comprehensive piece absolutely worth read to understand like the state of anime dubbing as it is right now other anime pieces uh from anime news network that i really enjoyed included one from george harvat about harley to two boy which has been you know kind of under the radar i guess being a sub and released by high dive we new episodes every week for a while now since december and you know george has been real championing and trying to promote the series and he wrote a great piece about it making a good case about like hey you know probably to your boy it has a really interesting history as a manga in terms of like the original hallelujah kind of like a short start but then it got revamped as this other series and the changes in the premise in that way how the anime came about and like what makes anime hold up today in terms of like being kind Kind of sort of a precursor to like a lot of modern jump comics. He really feels like it's totally like a spiritual predecessor to Kendama and Sket Dance in terms of like the sort of comedy in the series. And yeah, I mean, George has been really trying to champion Harley to Two Boy and get more people to pay attention to it. And I definitely, you know, I've been meaning to check it out for a long time. His, reading his piece made me like, yeah, I, I really want to get uh, into this. And what with, with this being like the 25th anniversary of the anime coming up soon, I think I finally will give it a chance pretty soon. And yeah, very, very look forward to getting into it. And I think this is just a great piece spotlighting kind of this underrated jump comedy series from the mid 90s now another great Indian piece i really like came from kennedy also you may know them as red bard on youtube and they did a great uh, piece about the tanami 2012 april fool's day event and how that really re-energized interest in the block i re-energized you know the fandom and what led to tanami coming back as a permanent block on adult swim and how we've you know, been able to keep it going for 10 years. And it's a really great profile that also includes an interview that Kennedy has with Jason DeMarco about how the stunt came about, reactions to it, and how they built Tanami from there and reflections on it. So yeah, I think it's a great piece celebrating, you know, both the 25th anniversary of Tanami and the 10th anniversary of like, was has often been called the night no 90s gets slept. And certainly a fond memory for me and so many other Tanami fans. And uh, speaking of Tanami related stuff, This Week in Anime did a great piece on Shenmue as an adaptation. I mean, I've been surprised that ANN has not been doing weekly coverage of Shenmue. I appreciated this piece. I appreciated that Nick and Steve had, you know, positive impression of Shenmue, as I've been enjoying the show a lot, and how the show really does, you know, it can't perfectly capture the spirit of the of the games and, like, wandering around and doing repetitive tasks and all that, but, you know, it, it managed to capture the fun of it in a lot of good ways, and, yeah, I've been really enjoying the show, and I'm glad that they were able to, like, kind of highlight a lot of the, the appealing parts of it in terms of Rio's journey, in terms of, like, the different kind of interactions of how it really does have kind of the video game where Rio goes around different places and just talks to people uh, to get information and learn some things and stuff. But how it ends up being kind of charming in its own way because Rio is kind of very straightforward personality uh, also because of the fun interactions he has with the supporting characters. So yeah, really appreciated that. I'm glad that there was some good positive attention being shown on Shenmue. In terms of other Konami originals and as mentioning before the FLCL sequels, both Congo Resources and uh, Flow Fronted Amoe had some good pieces kind of coming to the defense of Progressive and Alternative, which, you know, I think they were pretty good seasons. And I think that uh, Constance Sarantone's piece on what they liked about the, and why they think the original two sequels, Alternative Progress, were underrated, were really good. Like talking about their takes on themes of adolescence and how they managed to take the show in like a different direction from the original that is still pretty valuable and still pretty eye-catching and entertaining. And similarly, I think Cine Clinic's piece for Fulfrontor.moe about like 
the themes of the progressive sequels and how they are very much definitely, you know, even though, of course, the original Food Cluster is very much a time and place kind of thing as a work, uh, the progressive and alternative thematically still capture a lot of the themes of the original work in terms of exploring the endless everyday, in terms of exploring mono aware the pathos of things. The stories are still very much exploring those same thematic ideas the original was. So I think he makes a good point of like, yeah, I mean, obviously the sequels, they can't quite capture the same time and place energy of the original season, but they still are very much FLCL in spirit and not just like aesthetically, not just in the fact that those is century, but just thematically, they're very much in line. But Cineclaim also did a great video a few months ago on the original FLCL that I also want to share because he also really explores again that idea of Inley. Like ever a lot of people when they talk about FLCL, they do just talk about, oh, it's a coming of age story. But you know, as Sidney Clinton points out, it's like more than just a coming of age story because it's also about a particular malaise, a particular feeling that is popular in Japanese uh consciousness and philosophy of again the endless everyday, the feeling of like nothing changing in daily life. This feeling like tomorrow will be the same as yesterday and so on and so forth. And just now Ota's perspective and his growing perception of the world around him becomes how he comes to accept and ultimately at the end of the show ends up in a way embracing the endless every day and I thought that was a very interesting analysis of El Sale from a lens that is not often discussed not often thought of and Zenic, like really has been doing some great videos and one recent one that I really enjoyed from them was their video on Trigon's quote-unquote filler. Like, if you go to my filler list over the website, it's called that like tracks like filler in anime. They have a very super strictly puritan and not like adaptable metric for what filler constitutes in anime. Basically anything that comes from manga is canon. Anything that's not is filler. Which in the case of Trigon uh, is like discounting most of the plot of the show because of course Trigon is like completely in the original animation like it completely like ends up going into its own story of course so like Cineclinic makes a great argument of like hey you know in adaptation like all these things that are not in the manga they're very much still essential parts of the narrative like the four episodes before like the first manga chapter adaptation in episode 5 is like very important to your understanding of Ash as a character to get into the perspective of Meryl and Millie in a way you don't do in the manga and like I'm a fan of the manga I'm not saying that like one of the approach is better than the other but it's still like a important part of the narrative of the anime those episodes even if they're not based on manga material Cynically goes in a great point on all the, a lot of the episodes that supposedly are labeled as filler by this period and sort of like it's not in the manga. By saying like, no, all this added stuff is part of the narrative of the show. It's what makes Trigon Trigon. And I think it's just a great analysis of like, really, when we're thinking about adaptations, uh, we really do need to get away from the fact that like, oh, if it's not in the manga, it doesn't matter. But like, no, you have to understand like how a narrative is interpreted, readapted. We have to take into account how things are framed, how things are paced in adaptation, what becomes necessary then. So I think like he made a really great video on this point using Trigon as an example. And I, you know, as a fan of the anime, as well as the manga, I just really appreciated it. As far as other videos I really enjoyed, I mentioned it before, but Hamabit did a great video on the latest Rohan Kishibe story, the 10th one, Tatsuma Marta. As I mentioned before, like, the story itself uh, just seemed like a lot of fun. What would it imagine Rohan working as a mangaka during the pandemic and being upset by having to wear masks and interacting with people and having a COVID pet? <laughs> it just sounds like a great story, and his analysis of it, uh, his commentary on it was a lot of fun to get their take on. So yeah, always enjoy him 
Beats JoJo videos, and this one was a great coverage of the new Roman story. It really makes me want us to get more of the manga licensed and published, so hopefully that'll happen soon. Now moving on to like recommendations of uh, shoutouts that are like recommending you check out other things as well. Uh, there was a great project that was recently finished by Colleen who goes by Manga Nostalgic on Twitter. And they over the past year and some change have been doing this series called Jumping Into Shoujo. Where basically they you know have a, a shonen series that people may be a fan of. And they recommend a shoujo series that they think fans of that shonen series will like. So, for example, in their last one, their finale one, they say, hey, if you're a fan of Slam Dunk or Real, you know, Inoue's basketball series, you might be a fan of Shiafru as like a similarly compelling sports narrative. And so they have very comparisons like that that they've been doing for a long time and like these short videos that they've been sharing on all sorts of social media platforms. Like, I'll link you to the Beacons page where they just list like their Twitter, uh, YouTube, Twitch, and TikTok. Like, they've been really cross-posting this series across various platforms. And they also have a very handy spreadsheet uh, that you can refer to to look back. And they also just made a tread just recently, just, you know, in celebration of doing their last one of, like, you know, listing all the ones they've done. But it's been a great series. I've been following it for actually a while now and their work in general. And I think they make great recommendations. They're really enthusiastic about shoujo and also just finding ways to pitch and introduce more people to try out more shoujo series based on whatever shonen or seinen series they like. And I think they've been doing a great job. Like, they make a lot of really smart comparisons, smart recommendations. I think if you are looking into trying out more shoujo series, their treads, their videos are a great sampler a great pitch to uh find some new favorites potentially so very much recommend their work and you know even though they've finished this project for now i'm sure they're going to continue making you know some more shoujo related discussions and content and stuff so very much looking forward to following along more of their stuff and then next, you know, recently was the Trans Day of Visibility and Comic Speed released a really great list of 31 trans and unbury comic creators that you should check out their work. And a lot of authors on there that I really love their work, like Gail Galligan and Andy Stevenson. So yeah, like I really can get behind like the artists. They make some really great recommendations of artists to check out trans and non-binary creators who are making some really great comics. So if you want to check out and support some really cool trans creators, trans comic creators, definitely go and look through this list and you'll find a lot of really cool folks. A lot of folks whose work I've enjoyed for a long time and definitely uh, would love for more people to check out as well. And finally, my last shout out for this episode is to promote like an upcoming sports scene that the Pickle Paper is going to be releasing soon. That's really cool. Like it's basically a zine called We Love Sports Anime where 35 different artists have kind of come together to recommend different sports anime they love and like these short like little one to two page comics. And it's like really cool. It's just like, you know, just some great recommendations of like these artists favorite sports anime. So yeah, you can just pre-order this from Pickle Paper PRs go up until the 17th of April and it seems really charming and even includes like a little blank page for you yourself to draw your own like mini comic about your favorite sports anime which I think is pretty cute so yeah absolutely I wanted to support the zine because I thought it was a cool project and that'll do it for the community shout outs that I want to offer up on this episode there was a lot of really cool stuff 
being published and being made by a lot of cool folks out there. A lot we wanted to share. But until the next time where we have even more to share, we have even more to talk about, I think we'll head out into our wrap-up of the show. All right. Yes. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast. You know, we had a whole lot of news to go over, just so much stuff to talk about, like always. But we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I guess until uh, next episode, uh, we're just going to let you guys know where you can find us. And Lum, how about we start with you? Where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lumrayasha on Trinus Lumrayasha or a variety of places like Amateur Revelation and Analyst and Letterboxd. Where it is Lumrayasha that you can find me by that name. You can also read my reviews on MangaRights.com. We got a lot of manga reviews coming in. We got a lot of reviews planned to come out. So for tomorrow and that, so you can find the other podcast I do, the Lum Squad, the Yours of Gatsu for podcast I do with my good friend Andrew A.C. Ushimara. We discussed a wonderful Mackie World book that she's classic comedy sci-fi manga Yours of Gatsu. We had a lot of fun covering the manga as it's continued to be published Viz Media, and we also are going to be having a lot of fun talking more about the movies as they're now available, streaming by Crunchyroll, and coming out on Blu-ray from Discotech, and of course, we're super excited to talk about the new anime coming out later this year. There's just so much to talk about with your Yatsura and the works of Ruka Takahashi, and we're having a lot of fun doing it, so definitely check us out. You can follow us on Twitter, at Quad. You can find us on YouTube by just searching for us in the search bar. And you can also find us on every podcast I'm going to think of, out podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, and of course, in the Manga Maps feed itself, we've got some episodes in there. And if you like the art I make for our podcast, the illustrations I make, and the animations illustrations I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram, at Works. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts that you can find over on my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Basically, click on the podcast page and you'll find literally everything I'm doing, uh, including, you know, past projects I'm not involved in anymore, or even a lot of the guest spots I've done on other podcasts all throughout the years. So if you're interested in literally any other podcast I'm a part of, again, you can find links to those and more at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks and everything else, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. We're at the $2 tier in particular. Uh, you will find select episodes of the podcast before they end up on our main feed. Basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited, but we're not ready to put up on our main feed just yet, we'll put it up on our Patreon first at the $2 tier uh, for patrons to listen to before anyone else. But also, admittedly, that really depends on uh, our schedules and what we have done at any given time. So, uh, you know, if you want more reliable content, you really should sign up for our $5 tier where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that our latest bonus podcast is covering the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero anime film and manga, where we uh, once again had both on Kate Sanchez from But Why Though, as well as Sam Leach from the One Piece podcast. We talked about it at the top of the show. It was a really great discussion. I had a lot of fun talking about the movie and the manga, and it was just nice to talk about Jujutsu Kaisen. So if you want to hear our thoughts on the movie and the manga, Jujutsu Kaisen thoughts in general, please go listen listen to that podcast again at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash manga mavericks and just listen to all of our other bonus podcasts that we have available you know when you sign up for the patreon you don't just get that one podcast you get basically two years worth of bonus podcasts that we've recorded and put up on our patreon 
And you know, when you sign up for our Patreon, it really helps keeps the lights on and everything. It, we basically use the Patreon to pay for our podcasting and website hosting. So, you know, if you sign up for our Patreon, you know, you're really helping us and supporting the show and everything we do here. And we cannot thank you enough. Once again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, please subscribe if you can. Um, but as for everything else, you could follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks where we upload different excerpts of the podcast, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Um, email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered on this episode? Uh, what new licenses are you looking forward to? Uh, are you reading anything that you want us to talk about on the show? You know, just email us anything about manga, the podcast, or whatever, really. We, we love getting emails from you guys, and we want to read them on the show. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Please send us an email. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, we're on a bunch of different platforms at this point. Uh, but especially on, like, Apple Podcasts and even Spotify, you know, if you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show, helps people find our show that much easier. And, you know, just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use any feedback we get to make the show that much better. And so, yeah, that's going to be about it for this episode. Thank you guys so much once again for listening. This has been episode 196 of the Manga Mavericks podcast. And we'll see you guys next time for episode 197. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.